does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Boy, as bad as yesterday was weather-wise, it is a 180 today. There will be absolutely no washout over at IMS today. That's what we had yesterday. No cars on the track. I think I saw just the third time since 2016 that a full practice day has been washed out. But it looks beautiful already here on this Wednesday morning. And it looks to be the same thing tomorrow as well. So it should be two full days over there. Out at IMS. Good Wednesday morning to you. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Jake, they kind of what? Flirted with it around 2, 2.15 yesterday. It was like, all right, tracks to the pit lanes. And then kind of like two, me going to talk to girls in college. The introduction was nice, and then nothing else happened after that's, that. That's you and me. <laughs> you and me both. Uh 15's correct. They basically announced, hey, get cars out to the grid. We're going to do install laps beginning in one minute. What do install laps mean? When you see the cars go out at like 50 miles an hour where they're just kind of rolling around and they're just checking, hey, is the oil pressure good? Is the Are all the lights working on the dash? You know, that kind of thing. Got it. So they were set to do that just to make sure everybody's car was going to fire up at 215. And when they gave the one-minute count, then all of a sudden it started sprinkling again. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Not yet. And it never let up. So today will be relatively the same, a little bit earlier. 10 a.m., uh, gates will open over there. And at 10 a.m., you will get install laps for the veterans. And then that rookie orientation that was supposed to be two hours for R.C. Enerson yesterday, he'll get that from 10.15 to noon today. So he'll still get a good chunk of time. Uh, to pass that, and then noon to six, which was the original plan, everybody out on the track. And Jake, this is me projecting a little bit, but I would assume with a little bit of iffy weather for Friday, I would guess today and tomorrow is going to be action-packed out there. Yeah, I think that's a fair uh, statement. And, you know, we'll talk to Felix Rosenquist today as well and just find out how much they truly do need these days. It's a big day also for when you consider – just as we talked with Doug Bowles about the fact that when you have a suite or you have sponsors or um, you know business associates that are that you are entertaining for the day, yesterday was a washout. So now all of a sudden, you know it becomes even more important for all the auxiliary stuff that goes on along with practice itself. But um, yeah, it's going to be unquestionably. An important day today, important day tomorrow, and then, you know, Fast Friday, obviously. The reality is, Kevin, that the teams and drivers are using essentially the same cars year in and year out. So they have probably most of the information they need from a car standpoint, but you're always learning. And the track does change. I mean, even from the test to now, whatever else, the conditions are always different. So, you know, just like we talked about yesterday with Tony Kanaan. At any point, the track can look different than it did the year before, the month before, the week before, new bumps, new whatever it might be. So they want to be able to familiarize themselves uh, with all of that. So it should be a good day today. The weather looks spectacular for the most part. As you mentioned, Friday a little bit dicey, but other than that, 
Um, and we've got a big show lined up. Felix Rosenquist, as we talked about, is going to join us. We're also going to talk a little bit about the greatest tradition in all of sports. Um, you know, the dairy farmers, the way they do it, they have a veteran and they have a rookie. So one is being like trained on how to do the milk tradition in victory lane and then the other one's the veteran because he was last year's rookie we're going to talk about that and with them coming up uh here in a couple of minutes and then the big story kevin on this what is today wednesday is today tuesday or wednesday 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 on this wednesday uh the big story of course is the fact that the pacers we now know george costanza's favorite number right <laughs> the number seven is what the pacers will draft you saw that coming, right? You knew that was going to be the case, right? Yeah, I think eight was the most popular. Uh, the eighth pick was a 35% chance, so I guess technically they, they didn't get – they moved up one, if you want to look at it from an odds standpoint. Uh, they did get the 32nd pick, so if we're going glass half full, uh, instead of drafting 50, they'll draft 32. So their draft picks heading into next month's draft will be 7 26, 29, 32, and then 55. Those will be their five picks. You know, I thought Kevin Pritchard had some interesting comments after the lottery last night, Jake. For one, and this is just salt meat wounds of the Pacers, um, Kevin Pritchard said, and he was behind the stage. So, again, they have a team representative behind the stage that no cell phones are allowed. They watch the lottery actually happen, and then we obviously see the TV production just a few minutes later with Tyrese Halliburton representing the Pacers on stage. And Pritchard said when, I, I don't know if it was Mark Tatum, or, or I guess Tatum doesn't necessarily know. He's the one that just reads the envelopes. Um, whoever it was behind stage started reading off the Spurs numbers. The Pacers had the same exact first three numbers. So it's a four-number combination that they read off. The Pacers had the exact first three numbers, and Kevin Pritchard said he's thinking to himself, oh my gosh, is this about to happen? And the fourth number that is read off is the Spurs combination and not the Pacers combination. So San Antonio gets the first pick, of course. I thought Pritchard had a really interesting comment about Webb and Yama to describe kind of what he will mean to a franchise and to an NBA team. He goes, Victor Webb and Yama will never play a game in the NBA where it's not sold out. That's pretty high praise. Like, yeah, he that's... thinks he's that big of a draw. And if you watched last night, I mean, Adrian Wojnarowski, to me, Jake, is never one that, like, speaks in hyperbole. I mean, it was wild, some of the comments he was making about Webb and Yama. He's like, NBA execs believe by the end of his third season in the NBA, he'll be the best offensive and defensive player in the NBA. Honestly, best way I can say it here. You ready? He's the Shohei Atani of basketball. Yeah, it's probably a good way to put it. I mean, he is a. I guess he's going into a similar market. You know, he he's yeah. I mean, he he. If you look at what he can do, you know the thing about him that's intriguing. I don't know, obviously, nor does anybody, Victor Webmyama at all. But he looks like a guy and conducts himself like a guy who has been in the NBA for five years now. Like, just watching him do interviews and just his kind of... He's very poised. Relative ease and poise, yeah. He just is very... Kind of seems easygoing. And I know they listed him. I think they officially... Think about this. I mean... The easiest way to say it. When the Pacers had Rick Smits, Rick Smits was drafted 
by the Pacers because you couldn't pass on a guy that was seven foot four that could shoot a free throw. And it took Rick Smith's probably realistically, I mean, he had to play right away because Stepo got hurt. That probably was a good thing for him. And he had to bulk up because it was a different era back then. But it took Rick Smith's probably five years to become a fluid NBA player that was instinctive with his moves and figure out that he was always that close to the, to the rim. And Webamyama is not only like three years younger than Smith's was when he came into the league, but he is totally instinctive. And while he is the same size as Rick Smith's, that's why I bring Smith's up. Webamyama is seven foot four at minimum. I think he might be seven foot five. Yeah, that's what they were listening to Matt last night. And but he plays with the ball handling and outside skill level of a Kevin Durant. I mean, I saw a clip yesterday of him blocking a shot, going between his legs, running down floor, putting on a spin move where he was about to be trapped on the wing and then making like two steps and dunking. Yeah, that was the game yesterday he played in to like ice the game. I mean, it's like, what are we doing here? It's like a literally look... He looks like if it was Super Mario Brothers and you you actually hit the one mushroom and now you become like three times the size and four times the speed. I mean, he's... Now, he may well be... Of course, you already have your people that, you know, I've watched film and I'm you know i telling you he's going to be... But okay, I mean, I you know, I've got buddies that, that are that guy, right? But when people who make their living, Kevin, doing nothing but prognosticating and building NBA rosters are saying this is unlike anything we've seen before. It's probably worth taking a look at. I thought Richard Jefferson had a really, really intelligent point last night on the broadcast of there is no debating his basketball skill. I mean, his skills are through the roof. It's perfect for this style of basketball today. The only debate is, will he be able to put on the necessary strength and how will that just kind of impact his body from an injury standpoint moving forward? That, that that's the debate. You don't you don't debate like, well, his jump shot can be streaky at times, and or you know, don't really feel like he's going to be able to rebound at a high level or defend the rim at a high level. Can't really handle it. Like all those things, check. It's strength. Here's the thing, though. Does he need the strength? I, I, I mean, did Durant like Durant? Do you remember when Kevin Durant got drafted in the NBA? It was like, oh, it's. I mean, I. I in the combine, he only did he bench press. Remember the big knock on him was he he did like two reps on the bench sure. press, and people were like, "Oh, pff, this guy's going to be a bust." Does it matter? Probably for sustainability. And again, Durant has certainly you know had a hell of a career with not necessarily being you know any sort of whatever bulky specimen. Uh, but I, to me, Durant's a little bit more of an outlier on it. Um, and for Webb and Yama's case, you know, to play whatever 10, 15 years, and maybe LeBron is just totally just reset the bar and what playing deep into your 30s is all about. I would think if you're a Pacers season ticket office person, you probably weren't too happy to see him in the Western Conference. I would think that would be a um, that would be someone you would want in the East. Again, other people in that building say we don't want Webb and Yama in the East, but I would think if you're trying to sell tickets. That would be a guy you want in your building more than one night a year. This would be my one hesitation in the whole, like, he's got to put on, you know, 50 pounds of muscle level thing. Yeah, and I, I don't know, think 50, to be clear. Well, you know what I'm saying, though. But Giannis has done that. I mean, Giannis has obviously transformed his body. But I'm going to go back to, and, and I know sometimes I make dated references, but um, thank you, Mark. But when I covered the St. Louis Cardinals, 
I was covering them at the time when Mark McGuire's body was starting to break down. And he had patellar tendonitis and knee issues for the last two or three years he was playing baseball. And I remember talking at that time to a doctor who said, the problem is your knees and your ligaments are naturally designed to support the natural body mass that you have. And when you start artificially adding bulk to it, everything strengthens except for the knees and ligaments that are designed to that size. So it starts to break them down. They become too weak for, you know, the, the, the support system is not strong enough for what is on top of it. And so for Webamyama, his body is designed to probably be the frame that he is. You know, his frame is designed to be the bulk that he is close to right now. So don't take steroids is the moral of the story? That is the moral of the story. That's correct. Now, one thing that you can do is drink plenty of milk because we know that milk's sure. good for you, yeah. right? Calcium, right? Um, that is correct. And, of course, milk is the greatest tradition in all of sports. The winner of the Indianapolis 500-mile race will be able to take the swig of milk that became famous when Louis Meyer did exactly that with buttermilk, which, I'll be honest, buttermilk to me, not so much, but uh, very mayonnaise-esque. But the 2%, the skim milk, whatever it might be, Kerry Estes is now the veteran milk presenter for the Indianapolis 500-mile race in the American Dairy Association of Indiana. He joins us now on the Payless Sugars Hotline, and I'm guessing that he's probably been up now for he's like Kanan, right? He's been up for probably three hours. Just had a gallon of milk already to start his Wednesday morning. <laughs> I would think, right? I mean, that's what you do when you're a dairy farmer. Sure. Is you get up at the crack of dawn. He joins us now uh on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Kerry, good morning to you. What time did the morning begin for you today? Hey, good morning. Just a little before five. Now is that typical for you? We actually have to uh, have to work our morning milking schedule around our school runs. Uh, we've got kids in uh, three different schools right now, and so uh, that kind of dictates when we start. So, uh, pretty typical, yes. Okay. Not not as early as uh, some, maybe, but uh, but yeah. Carrie, I was hoping you could take us down two different paths. One would just be the overall tradition of milk and victory lane, that path, and then also your involvement as a family and as a dairy farm. Absolutely. Um, you know, this milk tradition is, is epic. Uh, it was voted the coolest trophy in sports. And, you know, I, I always knew it was a big deal living close to Indianapolis. But uh, last year, you know, being the rookie milk presenter, um, got a good taste of how big of a deal it is. I mean, the fans just absolutely love it. The drivers love it. Um, the IMS uh, Doug Bowles and all the Indianapolis Motor Speedway staff, they love it and are committed to keeping it. Uh, it's just huge. Um, and then for me, you know, I'm just a just a small family dairy farmer uh, out here on the southeast side of Indianapolis. Um, and for me to be in, able to be involved in something like this, so huge, it just blew my mind, really. So last year you were, and for those that don't know, the American Dairy Association, when it comes to the milk presentation in Victory Lane, you basically have two milk farmers, right? One is the rookie, one is the veteran. You earned your rookie stripes last year. You're now the veteran. Um, take yes. me through the experience last year in terms of your nerves of it all. You're just kind of sitting there to observe. And then now, no pressure on you, Kerry, but everything falls on your shoulders, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, I'm a football coach also out at New Palestine, and, uh, you know, we're always telling the kids, you know, never, ever fumble the football. 
I do not want to be the guy that fumbles the bottle of milk up there. So yeah, that's that's it's cold, it's it's wet, it's slick. So it's like I can't drop this bottle of milk. Um, last year, I actually gave milk to the winning team owner Chip, uh, Chip Ganassi, uh, as well as their chief mechanic. So that was actually a little bit tricky trying to navigate all of that. Um, I, I found myself, you know, I found a chief mechanic and all the. Uh, in all the mayhem, but then I'm like, where is Chip Ganassi? And he's on the other side of the car. And for a second, I was like, oh, I need to step over the front of this car. And I'm like, idea. That's a really bad <laughs> yeah, idea. You trip on that, it becomes yeah. a little costly, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm fired. I'm fired. So I, I literally have to run back behind the whole Victory Circle board and they get the Chip Ganassi, who had already started drinking Marcus Erickson's milk. <laughs> so uh, it was a little tricky this year. I'm giving it to the guy standing in the car with the wreath around his neck. It's going to be a little easier, I think. Carrie, I'm like trying to picture you guys on race day. You know, we all walk into the track with our coolers. Uh, there probably isn't many people that are walking in there with multiple different milks in their cooler. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing you have, like, d- correct me if I'm wrong, what is it, three day? I, I'm trying to think of the list. So I was like, usually guys pick three different kinds. Um, so I assume you have like one of each, or I guess multiple bottles in this case. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, we actually come in with a couple coolers. Um, one that we do different interviews with, um, and then they, the real cooler um, that we keep under lock and key um, until the uh, you know the winner, until we know who the winner is. And you're exactly right. We bring three different kinds of milk: whole milk, two percent, and fat free. And you know we don't know who's going to win, so we have to bring them all. And so the winner gets his choice, and then the um, the the team owner and chief mechanic get the others. And the most popular of those three for the drivers is typically what? Oh, it's been overwhelming, overwhelmingly whole milk, uh, which was awesome. Mm. I believe it was tw- 26 of the drivers last year selected whole milk, which, you know, they're, they're starting to um, really recognize the healthy fats that are in dairy and things like that. Do you know what's interesting about this? You got drivers like Tony Kanaan and Elio Castroneves that have been around for a while, obviously, right? Scott Dixon as well. But let's go back to, for example, Elio Castroneves when he won his first two Indianapolis 500s. At that time, you weren't even a dairy farmer because you didn't start dairy farming, if I'm not mistaken, until 05 because you and your wife were sitting around and were like, you know what? What can we do that the whole family can get involved in? And then, boom, next thing you know, you got a bunch of cows. Now, is that accurate? <laughs> yes, pretty well nailed it. That's pretty well accurate. Yes. Yes. Now, the other thing. Yes. Go ahead. Well, in 05, yeah, my wife and I were like, you know, hey, we, let's let's uh, something that we can work together with our family and spend a lot of time with our kids. And I'll tell you what, we nailed that because, boy, do we ever have to spend a lot of time out here. But uh, it's been it's been great. But you're right. You know, some of these drivers have been have been running and winning before we even started our dairy farm. And we're heading into our 19th year. So your dairy farm, by the way, Kerry Estes is on the Payless Sugars Hotline. He is the veteran milk presenter, if you will, from the American Dairy Association of Indiana. The milkman, that's right. Uh, Last thing for you here, Kerry, because I'm fascinated by this. Not only are you a football coach at New Pal, not only do you have your kids helping out in the family business, Mm -hmm. but the notes that we were given, and and I don't know, I almost feel like I'm being punked and Ashton Kutcher is going to walk in with an old MTV show here. Uh, it, It says you also have water beds in your dairy fields. Now, what the hell is that all about? <laughs> well, 
sorry, that caught me off guard here. Um, so <clears throat> we actually do have water beds in our cattle barn, believe it or not. Um, cow comfort um, is a really big deal to us. Uh, the more comfortable and happy our cows are, the more milk they produce. And so uh, we try to do everything we can uh, from a nutrition standpoint, from, um, you know, to, to help them with things like heat or if it's a cold rain to try to make them comfortable and not be out in those elements. But yet we also give them outside access like on a day like today, it's awesome outside. So they're going to be out grazing outside all day. Um, and then, you know, when the conditions aren't great, they come in the barn and you're right, we've got water beds and our cows, uh, lay in there and they float on the water beds. And, uh, I guess think about the race, you know, if you if you got enough mood lighting in a bowl with the water beds, you could actually increase your calf production too. Probably with this whole easy. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I, for what it's worth, I, every yeah. driver's going to get a bottle of milk. Yeah, now, that's right. All of a sudden, Carrie, I've always wanted a pet cow. Cow was my first word. I grew up. Well, I grew up in Indy, but when I was a really little kid, we lived near a dairy farm in Shelbyville, and so I loved cows. I still have a stuffed cow, for that matter, named Cow, by the way. Um, if I just get, like, when I get my, my ranch in Wyoming with my rescue dogs and one cow, would they make a good pet? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, cows are cows are amazing. They really are. Uh, they all have personalities. So uh, it's a pet. Uh, I will be frank with you. It takes a little bit to feed this pet, okay? You're not going to just put out a little, you know, a cup of food in a bowl and they're going to be okay with that. Um, it's going to take a lot, but uh, they would make a great pet. Okay. Carrie, I, last one for me, like, I, I get different shapes and sizes. Uh, the average cow produces how many, uh, maybe, gallons of milk in their life? Yeah, so that that varies on you know, what breed you have and how you're feeding them and things like that. But, you know, so let's, let's just say they're producing 10 gallons a day. Uh, I'd have to do the math here, but, uh, you know, you milk this cow for five or six years. I mean, cows don't live as long as humans do. We try to, we try to keep ours here as long as possible. Uh, but yeah, there, there, it's a lot of milk that's produced in a day. Um, but it also costs. Yeah. That's a ton. It also costs. Yeah, it is. It is. But it, it costs a lot to feed cows too. So you know, you know, you can look at one side of the equation, but it's also uh, you know, it takes a lot. There's a lot of input into taking really good care of cows as well. But what they produce is amazing. I mean, the the milk athletes, professional athletes, um, are recognizing it. I was fortunate enough to coach some players who've gone on to play Division One football. Um, and I've asked those guys, I'm like, so your nutritionists, like, do they, do they tout milk at all? And they're like, Oh, absolutely. You know, after our workouts and things like that, um, you know, all the electrolytes, um, milk was actually rated the top drink for electrolytes, uh, just recently. And, um, you know, it's got all the amino acids for muscle building development. Of course, everyone knows about the calcium, uh, for your bones and, um, other things in there for your nervous system circulation. I mean, it's really it's really amazing. 7,300 gallons over five years is what it would be, by the way. Um, lastly, Kerry, we were talking about the NBA draft lottery. I, I know that you live in Indiana. I know you're in the shadows of Indianapolis with your dairy farm, but safe to say your favorite team is probably the Bulls, right? It, would that be a fair statement? 
No, 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 no. No, I'm a pay. I, I love my Pacers. Hell yeah, that's what I like to hear. I, I've seen I'm that. I'm a bigger football fan, though. I'm a bigger football fan. I'm I'm a I'm a massive Colts fan. Well, Kerry, I've seen that new Palo line. You guys are drinking a lot of milk with them. So <laughs> good work on and that. Uh, good luck okay. a week from Sunday. Nice balance between, you know, certainly making sure the milk handoff is executed well, but not being too much in the picture with that. So it is an un- unbelievable tradition. And thanks for uh, hopping on with us and sharing a little bit about it. No fumbles. Thanks so much. Hey, winter streak milk. Hey, man. Carrie Estes right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I cannot tell you how much milk I drank as a young child. Really? Oh, just. You know, Tons. chocolate milk after a workout, Kevin? How about this? Did he just say that milk has the most electrolytes? Yes. After a workout, chocolate milk in particular, okay, as much protein as, I believe it's two hard-boiled eggs, as much vitamin A as 10 cups of spinach, as much potassium as a banana. Right there in one glass of chocolate milk. You know who looks like drinks a lot of milk? Nikola Jokic. Man, how about... He was... Uh, I mean, if winners drink milk, he was drinking it last night, right? He is doing stuff that, like, we haven't seen since Wilt. That's why it's so funny that, you know, we get so caught up in the draft lottery, and I'm like, you know what? You never know when. And I'll bet you when he got drafted, people were like, wait, who? Was he 41st? They were were hyping that up last night leading into the game. Uh, You know, I was fortunate to sit pretty close this year the Pacers-Nuggets game this season, and just watching him work, I mean, it is... It's unbelievable. Um, just his movement, how good he is with you know, just knowing how to contort his body. And he's so gifted. So, such a natural, natural basketball player. Last night, triple-double for him. One more, and he will set a record for most in the playoffs. Nuggets hold on to beat the Lakers last night in Game 1. Game 2 tonight, that will be the Celtics. And the Heat here at 8.30 as the Eastern Conference Finals get underway. Celtics favored by 7.5 in that How about one. the fact that LeBron, and I'm not sitting here trying to carry LeBron's water, which I've done a lot, I, I realize. How about the fact he had 26-12-9 and nine, and you're like, you know, LeBron's like really starting to slow down. You know what I mean? I mean, 26-12-9 and nine at the age of 38. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, not a lot to mention for him last night. Or, I mean, Anthony Davis had 40, 40, right? yeah. They just uh, didn't get a lot of supporting cast, to be honest with you. And defensively, that was the issue. You know, it looked like at times in the second half, maybe they found a little bit of a better idea on Jokic, but, you know, certainly that's much easier said than done in a 48-minute game. So the Nuggets take care of the Lakers in Game 1, and how about those in Vegas? Six-and-a-half-point spread, and the Nuggets win by six. Vegas is undefeated, man. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Pacers and the lottery. Pat McAfee making a move to ESPN. Quite the jump for him, and the meteoric rise continues for Pat McAfee. Uh, coming up, we've got Alex Golden. Chat a little bit about the NBA lottery in the 8 o'clock hour. Felix Rosenquist. His cars get on the track, certainly here, starting at 10 a.m. on this Wednesday morning. And we do have the second major of the year from a golf standpoint. So if you're looking to lay down a bet or two on the PGA Championship, Will Haskett will join us to round out the show today. It is an absolutely beautiful Wednesday here in Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Actually, we will begin with Major League Baseball since we just talked NBA. The Reds yesterday, 3-1 winners over the Colorado Rockies. It was Milwaukee 3-2 over the Cardinals in the Battle of Beer Cities. You had the Orioles, cute fella, 7-3 over the Angels yesterday. White Sox 8-3 over the Guardians 
Astros over the Chicago Cubs. My apologies, Mark, 7-3. And how about the Oakland A's? Break up Kevin's Oakland Athletics. They de- they defeated Mark's Diamondbacks 9-8. The trade deadline will break up the A's. Don't worry. <laughs> a uh, parade today for their 10th win of the season. Indianapolis in Indians 9-1 winners over the Iowa Cubs yesterday. Uh, Mark, the Reds have the same record as the Cubs. Yep. Cubs have, a, mm-hmm. have had a tough schedule, but I, I still think they'll finish better than the Reds, though. Uh, NBA last night, the Nuggets, they are up 1-0 in the Western Conference Finals, 132-126. They got off to a great, great start. Lakers certainly made a run late, uh, but the Nuggets are able to hold on for the Game 1 victory. Nikola Jokic, at halftime, his stat line read like this, 19 points, 16 rebounds, 7 assists. At the half. At half. 34-21-14. and 14. No NBA player has had a game like that in the last 40 40- Years, his sixth triple double of the postseason. Seven is the record. Jake, he's going to get that by probably tomorrow night. And we haven't even played the NBA Finals yet. You know, the other thing about him that is, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a complete dolt, but the, the other thing about Jokic that is so amazing is there's not a single thing about him when you look at him, even physically speaking, but also just on the floor itself, that leads you to believe he would do any of those things, right? He's not overly, like, uberly athletic. He doesn't have, like, some unbelievable quick step. He doesn't have amazing elevation. He just is incredibly efficient and very smart with everything that goes on on the floor. Yeah, his I, feel is through the yeah, roof. Yeah, his feel. That's the best way to say it. Uh, good news for Pacers fans. If you're looking for seventh picks that have turned out to be really good players, Jamal Murray's one of them. He had 31 last night for the Nuggets. Anthony Davis, 40-10. and 10. LeBron, 26-12-9. and 9. But again, not enough on the defensive end of the floor from the Lakers. Tonight, you've got the Celtics in the Garden taking on the Heat. Game one, eight, uh, seven and a half. That is the spread tonight. 8.30 tip on uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway today, just uh, a couple of hours from now, 10-15, as a matter of fact, is when R.C. Enerson will take to the track to pass rookie orientation. For those that are unfamiliar with the rookie orientation, you go through a number of phases before you're basically released into the wild. R.C. Enerson passed it a year ago, but he did not qualify for the Indianapolis 500, thus still considered a rookie he would be going through the same thing, what's called the refresher course, had he qualified a year ago for the race. But he will get to the track at 10.15. Then at noon today, it is opened up for what we call the all-skate. That means that all car, all cars, easy for me to say, will be eligible in terms of getting out and turning laps today. Going to be a busy day, I think, Kevin, out of I Yeah, I guess today and tomorrow with a little bit of iffy weather on Friday, uh, I saw the honorary starter today is Michael Lewis. Head coach of the Chirp Chirpers up there. I would like to drink a Carb Day beer with Michael Lewis. I think he'd be down for that. A Bush Light, right? Or two. By the way, May 22nd, live event. You can get tickets at WIBC.com. Ed Carpenter, who of course not only was part of the ownership family of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway before Roger Penske purchased, but the owner of Ed Carpenter Racing and a driver himself who this year will be his 20th Indianapolis 500 should he qualify, which I would expect he will. Uh, Ed Carpenter going to be with Hammer and Nigel here uh, May 22nd. Tickets still available for Tales from the Track with Ed Carpenter and WIBC. Yeah, that's 6 to 8 on Monday the 22nd. That ticket includes a drink ticket, registration for door prizes, Q&A, of course, with Ed, and a meet and greet with photo on that. So plenty of laughs, and certainly a couple will be thrown back at that one. 
Again, WIBC.com for tickets. All right, let's get in the lottery conversation. We'll do that on the other side. Recapping last night for the Pacers and Kevin Pritchard's thoughts post-lottery. You're listening to Kevin Aquari right here on 93. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Five, Five picks for the Pacers coming up on June 22nd. I would be stunned if they actually selected three of those five, four of those five. I think you're going to be yeah, doing some wheeling, dealing. I, boy, I, two and a half. I was going to say maybe three and a half, maybe two and a half. Um, so obviously they're, they're drafting seven as of now. Uh, 26, 29, and 32. That was the good news of last night. They got 32 instead of 50. And then they have uh, their own uh, second round pick via trade somewhere uh, is 55. A couple things. Uh, I'd like to see them take 26, 29, and 32. I say you just package those three together and try to get back into the mid-teens, back into the lottery. I have no idea what that trade package would necessarily net you from a higher pick standpoint, but I think it's a roster that needs a little bit more high-end quality and not as much quantity. Okay, how about this? Is it possible that you could take the seven – And let's say one of those two, the 26 or the 29. And let's say the 32. So two of those three. Could you take the 7, the 29, and the 32? And would that be enough to move up, say, to 4? Yeah. I. The issue with that for me, Jake, is it seems like this draft is Webb and Yama. And then the next tier is Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson. And then there's a next tier. Yeah, you're right. What, what it does... It really makes the third pick... Very valuable. The I Pacers a have a very size. specified need. They need a wing, scorer, and defender. And I put defense above scoring in that if I was listing those y- out. Yeah, that, that's fair. If you look at the players that are sure to go in front of them, Webamyama is undoubtedly going number one. Brandon Miller, exactly what the Pacers need, not going to be there at seven. But then you get into, like, and I'm just looking at, like, the prognostications of the player rankings. Scoot Henderson, a point guard, not going to affect the Pacers if he's off the board, if he's taken. Eamon Thompson, a backcourt player, guard, point guard, shooting guard, combo guard, not going to necessarily affect the Pacers if he's taken. Jerace Walker, a power forward. Okay, now, now maybe that's a guy that they'd have interest in. Asar Thompson. Now you're starting to get into the area, but then you have Cam Whitmore as well. So they probably would love for Asar Thompson, notably, to fall to them. But my point being that in terms of the style of player that the Pacers would be looking at, 
they are going to get probably the third option, the third the third best one. Which, when you're drafting seventh, you would say they have the seventh best player in the draft, okay, but it's the third best player of their need. So they're drafting third. Yeah, the thing about that tier the Pacers are on, I do think a lot of those guys kind of fit. It's not the perfect glove fit, but they kind of fit what the Pacers are looking for as more of a wing, more of probably defensive-minded. I'd throw Taylor Hendricks from Central Florida into that group as well. He's a guy that... He's right around that area too. That right? I think would be somebody that could fit really nicely to what you have and provide, again, more of a jolt to where your weaknesses are right now. Kevin Pritchard, and again, a lot of this can be just lottery talk after the draft or after the lottery. He seems pretty content with this third tier. And knowing that of the five-man group you just listed, Jake, the Thompson brothers, Cam Whitmore, Villanova, Jairus Walker, Houston, Taylor Hendricks, Central Florida, you know, two of those five will be there for you, theoretically, if you look at how four, five, and six will come off the board. Um, I do think a team to keep an eye on and again, the, the order goes San Antonio, Charlotte, Portland, Houston. I did think for Pacers fans it had to be nice karma to see Ben Wallace up there and the Pistons fall to five. Um, <laughs> Portland at three. What are they doing? Shaden Sharp had a really nice end of his rookie season. The Damian Lillard elephant in the room of, boy, what do you do with Lillard? Are you still building with him? Do That's you try really to question. move him? Yeah. Portland is a team that I could see them just totally want to tear it down, trade Lillard and get kind of a mega haul back and do what maybe Utah did last offseason or certainly what Oklahoma City has done. They could go that route or they could all of a sudden say, hey, you know, let's draft whatever. Scoot Henderson, maybe Lillard plays a little bit more off the ball and all of a sudden you've got a Scoot Henderson, Damian Lillard, Shaden Sharp backcourt and... What does that look like in the next three to five years? So Portland, I think, is the one of all those teams, one, two, three, four, even Detroit at five. That's going to be really interesting to me. But again, I like kind of sticking there at seven, taking that the best of what's there out of that five-man tier, and then I say at 26, 29, 32, if you can, which I know is easier said than done, you package those three, you get back up late lottery, and... I mean, hell, if you want to appease the Big Ten fan base, take take a Chris Murray, take a Jalen Hood Shafino, take someone. Uh, I know there's some Michigan guys in that range. You take someone kind of in that uh, in that 15 range, because for me, it's more about higher end quality than it is quantity. It is amazing to look at the NBA draft has become so based on potential as opposed to, and and that has worked. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are players you see. I've said before, Kevin, I go to NBA games and I sit there and I look out and some guy's playing really well and I go, man, where, how do I know that name? Then I look it up. Oh, yeah, he played a year at Kansas like four years ago. And he's just now, you know what I mean? Like he's just evolving. Kentucky, Kansas, Carolina, whatever. If you look at the age, it really is amazing. Here the, here's the age of the top 10 predicted picks in the draft. 19 and a half, 20 and a half, 19 and three months, 20 and three months, 19 and a half, 20 and three months, 18 and nine months, 19 and a half, 19 and a half, 19 and a half. I mean, 
Can you that, imagine, that was such an anomaly 20 years ago. Can you imagine if like the Hendon Hooker age or the Will Levis age was in the NBA draft? Well, okay, here's a prime example. You would talk about those guys like they had just committed a murder. Marcus Sasser, really good player, productive player for Houston, right? Really good player. 6'2", so a little undersized point guard. And he was born in September of 2000. He was basically born exactly one year before 9-11. And so he's like the bottom of the first round. I know people think negatively too old, about right? Chris Murray. Correct. Chris Murray's, Chris like Murray's the 22? same age. 23? Chris Murray was born also August of 2000. Yep. Well, you know, what's the problem with this guy? Again, Shaden Sharp was taken seventh last year. Jonathan Kaminga the year before that. If you look over the last decade, some all-stars taken at seven. Laurie Markkinen, Jamal Murray, Julius Randle. If you want to really, really shoot for the moon. Uh, Steph Curry was the seventh overall pick. Was he really? I remember that. He was. I was watching it. Johnny uh, Flynn, Ricky Rubio. I was watching the draft with Steph Curry, the Steph Curry draft. No, God. I was like, man, are you in the green room with him? Um, And New York selected eighth, and I was curious to see who New York was going to take. And I remember being like, oh, my gosh, they're going to get Steph Curry. Can you imagine if Steph Curry had gone to the Knicks? Um, If you look at – I'm just going to – Eric Gordon. Former seventh. One of my favorite games to play, just random seventh. So I'm looking at the 94 NBA draft. The seventh pick, Lamont Murray. I forgot about him to the Clippers out of California. Give me a year of the 90s or 2000s, Kevin. Uh, Let's go 07. The 2007 NBA draft. Should I do this in my David Stern voice? Because, you know, I just like an excuse to do it in my David Stern voice. Of course. With the seventh pick in the 2007 NBA draft. The Boston Celtics select Randy Foy from Villanova University. Gosh, I loved him at Villanova. One spot ahead of Rudy Gay, by the way. I thought the Spurs owner had, uh, that was pretty cool to see his owner, or to see his, his owner, to see his emotions after they realized that they were going to get the number one pick. So does Greg Popovich, is he about to become a great coach again? 74 years old for Pop. Is he going until 80? Probably now. You know, the guy that was like basketball Jesus until all of a sudden, like all of his players retired, and then he was just another coach. Did I see Boris Diaw is like the GM of the team that Webanyama plays for? Is he really? You know, when you talk about- seems like a cool guy. I mean, I, I don't, I, I've never met the guy, obviously. I was a little worried about the, the, the ceiling and the room he was in. I felt like he was going to keep on hitting the head well at one point brian winhorst was interviewing him right and i only know this we were doing beyond the bricks with mike thompson which by the way airs at eight o'clock every night on this fine radio station i was doing beyond the bricks last night in here and it was on in the background so i couldn't watch any of it because we were on the air um talking about the indy 500 but i could see webb yama being interviewed by brian winhorst and then it dawned on me webb yama was sitting down and winhorst was standing up right was he really yeah i thought winhorst was sitting down I mean, because they were looking eye to eye, so they couldn't have been. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Well, Windhorse, that's quite the trip. Yeah, hey, all the way to Paris. Head over to Paris for a 90-second interview and come on back. Not a bad gig if you can get it. Not a bad gig at all. Uh, you look at the Spurs, tons of first-round picks over the next handful of years. Uh, good news for Romeo Lankford and Blake Wesley, a couple of Indiana I guys. thought about that for Romeo Lankford. I'm like, man, he his... They're going to need Romeo Langford's job just got a lot easier, right? Stay, he can do just what he did at IU: stand in the wing and just sit around and 
wave at people until the ball comes to you and then chuck up a three. What they need to do, I think they need to make a little bit of an, an amendment to how the lottery operates. So Kevin Pritchard says last night, and again, Kevin Pritchard is behind the stage in that back room. They announced the first three numbers. So each team has, you know, the four number combinations. The Pacers had 68 of the 1,001 combinations. That's how they got their 6.8%. And they start announcing the numbers for the number one pick, and the first, second, and third number announced matches one of the Pacers' combinations. They need to have all of these people hooked up to a heart rate monitor. Can you imagine? Well, haven't you ever been? You know, one time I was the. Like, what was, do you think Pritchard was thinking? I mean, literally. I mean, you are one number away from well, it's like when your you're, career. It's like when you're reading a raffle ticket, right? And they're like, the winning number, nine, well, seven, sure, eight. Well, sure. But six, I'm not getting zero. a vacuum. I'm getting Victor Webb no, and Yama to literally change the. I mean, potentially be, and in this, in this market, obviously Peyton, but be one of the most impactful athletes ever. And it's so funny, man. The 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 guy that that you're hoping he molds into was what, like the 17th pick. When was Giannis taken? Yeah, I mean, that sounds right. You just never know. Certainly, but um, yeah. So the Pacers had the first three numbers to the exact four man combo that the Spurs ended up having. I guess that they um, the next two combinations they uh, picked out of the hat. Or they picked out of the whatever it is. Uh, we're also the Spurs. So it's meant to be for that. San Antonio. I mean. Detroit was the big faller last night. No one jumped the Pacers. So the Pacers actually were 35% chance at the eighth pick. They ended up getting the seventh pick. Uh, and Mark, your Bulls had to throw their pick away, right? Yep. Oh, was, was that a that? natural plop? Yeah, it was a plop. Yeah. Yeah, they're in trouble. <laughs> they've, got, they've got no first round pick, no second round pick. That that goes well with a team that needs to get a facelift. Jake, I thought your boy Mark Williams is going to get it done for Charlotte. That'd be the first thing he's done to contribute to the <laughs> franchise. But <laughs> I mean, him and Colin Sexton up there, Dalen Terry, Mark for the Bulls. Boy, yeah, talk about bad. That's juju. like your 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 tenth man. I know. You can't even. Yeah, I don't think you can get out of the Windy City Bulls roster at the moment. Their, their G League team. Put Benny up there. I know. Benny, I mean, you have to have somebody else you could have put than Dale and Terry. Like if I'm Halliburton, I'm like, wait, these are the other players that they're yeah. sending to this? I, I didn't think Halliburton had a nice presence uh, up there on stage. So, again, San Antonio 1, Charlotte 2, Portland 3, Houston 4, Detroit 5, the Pacers 7, 26, 29, 32, and 55. Uh, they will not draft five players. I can guarantee you that coming up on June 22nd. And now the NBA Draft Combine continues this week. So Trace Jackson Davis, Jalen Huchifino, Zach Eady. We'll see about that. Two weeks left for Eady to make his decision on whether to withdraw and head back to The latest to mock draft or... I saw, he has fallen out of the draft. So I don't know if there's already speculation that he's not going to be there. I'm not sure. I'm talking so about Zach Eady. Intel that he would has already expressed, hey, I'm probably going back to West Lafayette. Yeah. See, that'd be good news for the Boiler fans. Alex Golden, talk more lottery at 8.30. Felix Rosenquist at 9. And we'll get some PJ Championship thoughts of Will Haskett coming up at 9.45. It is an absolutely picture-perfect Wednesday. I have a feeling Jake Quarry might say uh, sun-splashed today over at IMS. I have used that phrase before, yes. <laughs> sun splash. Are you in a turn today or are you just in the booth? In the booth. 
in the booth with Mark from 3 until 6. Uh, drivers get on the track over there coming up at 10 o'clock, but uh, the action really picks up noon to 6 today. Kevin and Corey right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 805. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I've on, it is, sunsplashed, to use Kevin's term that he attributed to me. I, I think I have used that term a lot. Uh, sun-saturated. I remember if it was splashed or drenched. I think I probably used both, to be honest with you. Uh, but it's a gorgeous start to the day today in what looks to be a fantastic day here in Indianapolis. Good morning to you, Jake Quay, along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. Kevin, somebody just asked me, we've gone over this before, but it's worth repeating. Uh, the estimated year or vintage of your Pacer hat you're wearing today? Uh, I believe it's like just tail end of ABA. My Uncle Tad got this for me. Or he had it, I should say, and just gave it to me. See, I would go... The corduroy is just a really crisp... I, I would say though. that that is 87, 88. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it's Wait, that I, be- I thought he told me tail end of the ABA, but, you know. He's a big, big sport collector. I mean, it's a sweet hat. You go into his den, it's like he's got bats from... Tons and tons. But, well, he's of got Indians bats players. now. They those aren't as bad as people think. Actually, they they kill a lot of bugs and critters. And but they and are baseball not bats. Okay, sorry. actually used to work on the ground. In my play. opinion, that sucks. Over Victory Field. Every time you wear that hat, I think you're like a train conductor. <laughs> it does have that feel to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Rosie would probably love that. Mm-hmm. If I was like there. you're about to run Thomas the Tank Engine or something. Train conductor. Uh, speaking of. Um, a conductor, it's quite impressive, the empire that this man has built. And some big news yesterday in the media world. Pat McAfee to ESPN. Uh, the deal reportedly north of eight figures. So eight figures is what? Is that $10 million? Correct. Well, or 20 or 30 or 40 Right, million. north of $10 million. But here's the thing. My only question with that, and I get... The stability, you know, wasn't FanDuel paying $30 million? Um. Well, yeah. Was that four for one twenty, one forty, something like that? Four for one twenty. Yeah, I don't know if this is you get paid north of ten million per year, and then we will then take on all of your other people and pay them separately. Like, I didn't know if that figure was just. I believe with the FanDuel deal, then Pat was distributing that to his other people. You know, the new office, the Thunderdome, he calls it out in Geist, like those other payments so I, I don't know if espn is taking on like the background cost for lack well of they a probably term there. Are, they're probably putting it together which helps too right like he's not in other words he was running the whole operation correct and now he'll have obviously a lot of help with that i um, think that they they said that was a big reason why he did it as well because it's just a load off their shoulders sure. a lot of them have kids now so they have well, other priorities that's a new father yeah. i mean just yeah. in the last couple of weeks uh, him and his wife had a baby girl so um it sounds like it's going to be pretty status quo with the show and just like how it is. And then he will continue to do college game day. He'll continue to do some of those alternate broadcasts. We'll see what also develops from there. Um, did the WWE aspect, Mark, was that mentioned at all? Not yet, but I mean, he's he's made multiple appearances already this year. He hasn't done the color commentary that he had been doing, but uh, we'll see if that continues or not. I, I don't know if they have a handshake agreement, but I've been told that he's not... His WWE career is not over. Who do you think makes more than him at ESPN? Stephen A? 
Stephen Boy. A, the highest paid guy there. Aikman? No, I would say Buck and Aikman are at $5 million each. What's Greenberg making? Oh, Buck and I mean, isn't that really on the small scale when you compare them to Romo and what Brady's well, about to make? Well, that's a good point. And- that's a good point. Yeah, Buck, you're probably right. You're probably right. Because Romo was like, it's like 18, right? So, yeah, Buck was probably, that's a good point. I don't know the. I mean, Greenberg. Who is okay? Here's a better way of saying it. In 2023, who is the face of ESPN? Boy, I, I I'm afraid it's Stephen A. Smith. As much as I don't want to admit that. Says so Stephen A. is the highest paid employee at ESPN, making more than six and a half million dollars per year. Wow. So, Greeny right behind him. Wilbon and Kornheiser also up there. Do they list Buck and Aikman at all? Uh, I don't know when this article was. You know, when McAfee did this, you know, Super Bowl, he retires, Super Bowl weekend 2017, where I was highly skeptical of it was I just thought he would lose more of the name recognition that comes with being an NFL player. Totally agree with that. And I felt like, because, you know, he was doing some Barstool stuff around that time. All right, didn't he initially join Barstool? I, I kind of yeah. thought, why don't you do both? And sure, the Colts probably wouldn't have been super fans of it, but, I mean, this guy was an all-pro punter. Um, it's not like he was, you know, I don't think he was a distraction to that locker room. He was, he was a very good player. Um, I kind of thought, why don't you do both? And at the time he gave up, you know, two years left in that contract. I think it was right around five or six million and his ability to just immediately cater to that younger demographic. And then of course, with the growing of other platforms, YouTube, especially he's tapped into that and it's, it's a remarkable story for what he's done for himself and now he is viewed clearly with his contract as one of if not the most important sports media figures in the entire world when when i was doing an afternoon show with Derek schultz who does stuff now on this radio station the first year that we were doing that show literally the first year that we were the first cult season that we had to do that show together kevin they our sales department had sold a once a week Colts themed show live from the casino in Anderson and the packaging of it was that we would have a different Colts player or that we would have a Colts player with us for two hours in each show that we did the Colts started out 0 and 10 or whatever that was the Orlovsky painter years right the Peyton Manning hurt season yeah 2011 and so we were like, what are we going to do? Because it's hard to get players to come, let alone to Anderson, for two hours, not one, but two hours, when your team is winless. So we ended up saying, you know what? This punter, he's pretty funny. He's got a pretty good personality. Should we just see if we can get him? And so we got McAfee. This is when he was doing his hair for the locks of love, and he had really long hair. And I remember... He showed up, and I said, listen, I'm probably going to have to ask you about the canal thing. Because he hadn't done a lot of interviews to that point, truth be told. Yeah, it's still pretty recent. Just a year, probably posted. And he said, you, you can ask me whatever you want. I said, okay. And we started, and I remember the first thing he did is he pulled out an iPad and set it up. He had a product placement next to him. It was an energy drink, which was awful, by the way. Um that he had somehow signed an endorsement deal with, and he's like, I need the camera on this energy drink next to me the whole time, and I'm signing with an with an entertainment agent, 
and then he had his iPad and he knew who was following him and who wasn't on social media. And I just remember thinking like, this guy's thought this through way more than mm-hmm. just doing a show as a punter for the Indianapolis Colts. Yes. And not long after that, partially due to that relationship, he then, of course, became friends with, because we were the sister station of the Bob and Tom show, which is where he was very active as well. And that, And he started doing that. And I think that really opened his eyes to um, the training, if you will, of media interaction. But he had, you know, one time, Kevin, and this is a, an example of his personality, I remember once randomly he asked, and it would be totally disingenuous to sit here and say that I'm like some great friends with Pat McAfee, but he's a very friendly guy, obviously. And he asked Derek and I one time, out of the blue, he said, do you guys play ping pong? I play ping pong. I, yeah, I've played ping pong before. I, who hasn't played ping pong, right? And he said, well, I'm having a ping pong world challenge at my house if you guys want to come. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, we're going to play ping pong and we're going to have a tournament at my house, but you have to come representing a country and you will be that country and we're going to do like it's the Olympics, but for ping pong. So Derek and I said, okay. And he said, what country are you? And I said, well, I took Swahili in college, so I guess I'll be like Senegal. And he said, okay, well, you've got to dress in Senegal garb and show up. And I can't remember what country Derek was, but we showed up at his house, and I remember thinking to myself, there's going to be a camera here, right? Like, this is clearly a spoof. Well, I I, the door, I ring the doorbell, and a, and a Viking answers the door. A guy dressed in full Viking gear, like Ragnar, the Minnesota Vikings. And he's like, welcome, I'm Norway. And we walked in, and like Matt Overton was dressed in knickers, and like because he was England. And then McAfee's dentist was a guy named Chad. And so he was the country of Chad, and he was dressed in all gear from Chad. And they had like food from the different countries. And this was like on a Tuesday night at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> we played ping pong. Anthony Costanzo was Italy. We played ping pong until 5 o'clock in the morning. It was literally, I felt like I was spending the night at Chris and John Love's house in seventh grade. And at the end, uh, the guy that won was Norway. Jason Hofsetz was Norway. So they played the Norwegian anthem. Um, and we all had to stand at attention while he played the Norwegian anthem on his iPhone and whatever else. And I just remember thinking, like, the creativity of this guy, it, it reminded me a little bit of me in middle school, but with legitimacy. And I, I remember thinking, it was like being in, a, in an episode of Entourage, Kevin, except for that there was nothing below board. Like, it was basically completely straightforward, innocuous fun that your mom could have attended and you would not have been ashamed. It was pretty cool. Yeah, he's always had such a um, like an entrepreneurial brain to him and like always chasing, okay, what is the future? And he, he's kind of always been a step ahead of the game with that. And I think something that I appreciate about what he's done with his, I guess, media empire, you would call it right now, is there's a large chunk of the dudes on that show that are like his hometown buddies. And that's that's pretty cool. That like, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. it's gotten to a point where, and like, let's be honest, Darius Butler and AJ Hawk are not, you know, they aren't on Aaron Rodgers' level. I mean, like, Darius Butler, and he's a guy that we used to have on the show quite a lot. Like, he, he's got a very genuine feel to his relationships. I've always had great interactions with him. Uh, he's always been super kind to me, uh, professionally and, and personally. So, um, kudos to him. Again, I thought the best route for him would have been to keep on playing those final couple of years. Well, his but, knee was done, though. Well, I, I know he had the knee issue. He obviously hated Grigson. Um, I know Grigson just gotten fired. Um, but yeah, I mean, physically, 
I know that was an issue for him. And I, I think it's pretty cool that you know, he calls Indy home. And I know he, you know, the office used to be here downtown. Now he's up in the Geist area. Um, so ESPN, that's the move for Pat McAfee. I think officially this fall is when that will begin. So the show will continue to air on YouTube, but also ESPN platforms. Uh, I'll be up at the Colts later today. Again, Anthony Richardson in the building with veterans uh, this week. So you've got the rookies now um, intertwined with the vets. Next week we'll start OTA practices. So the first 11-on-11 sessions of the offseason will be next week. Um, for Colts fans curious out there, I think it's um, will probably be announced at some point, but uh, the joint practices, it looks like this year at Grand Park will be with the Chicago Bears. So obviously, you'll get some attention there just naturally from, was it Rensselaer? Is that where the Bears used to Correct. have training St. Camp? Joe's College, yep. Uh, August 19th, that is the Colts' home preseason game. It's the only home preseason game. That's with the Bears. So typically, the joint practices are the Wednesday and Thursday leading into those joint uh, into that preseason game. So if you are a Colts fan and or a Bears fan, and you're curious about seeing the Colts and the Bears at Grand Park, I am guessing a little bit here, but I would say August 16th and 17th would be the dates that you'd want to pencil in on your calendar. Jake, I'd say the only bad news of that for Colts fans is this. If you are like a Mark Dykton and you look at Colts and Bears... That would be bad news in its own right. (laughs) If you look at Colts and Bears as the preseason game and think, oh man, I'd really like to go to that game. Typically, when you have the joint practices, that means you don't play your starters a whole lot in that preseason game. So the one home preseason game the Colts have this August, if they go on past precedent, which who knows with Shane Steichen, don't look for the starters to play very much. They consider the Wednesday-Thursday of joint sessions kind of the time to get a lot of starter work in. So would you say that we would not see Anthony Richardson or you might see Anthony Richardson a lot in that game? Yeah, I... I Again, past president would say no, but Mark, I think if it's he's a point. your starter, that's true. Yeah, again, I think it's a point to just bring up in general. Like, how much do you need to see Richardson in the preseason? Mm-hmm. Do you treat him like a normal starter where you don't play him as much? Or do you treat him like, hey, 13 games of college experience, play him in the preseason? And again, that's the only home preseason game for, for the Colts. Yeah, and Steichen being a first year head coach might want to see what he's got in his rookie QB, so might get a little bit of, bit of run maybe. Obviously, By the way, a ton of connections with the Bears. Matt Eberflus, you know, Ryan Poles, and Chris Bauer used to be together, but I think that'll be a fun and entertaining opponent for mm-hmm. the joint sessions. Uh, I was way off, by the way. Joe Buck, apparently a five-year deal with ESPN, rumored to be between 60 and $75 million, so 12 to 15 a year. Aikman, on the other hand, five-year, 92.5. Then it does say, Kevin, to your point, um, this is due to a sports broadcast industry increase that was set by Tony Romo's 10-year, $180 million deal with CBS in 2020. So Romo kind of changed the complexity of things. Uh, lastly... What was Aikman? You said five, 90, five for 95? Five for 92.5. So what's that, 18 a year? 18.2 a year. Um, either one of you, real quick. And people in your cars, you can participate in this fun game as well. Either one of you want to tell me how to spell Rensselaer without looking. I believe that Rensselaer, Indiana is the hardest spelling of any town in our fair state. Mark, you go ahead first. R-E-N. I should do this like the spelling, but can I get that in a sentence? Yes, you can. Rensselaer is a small town approximately halfway between Indianapolis and Chicago. Spelling on my hand like the kids do. R-E-N. 
S S E L E A R. That's a complete. Kevin Bowen, please spell Rensselaer. Is there like an S A in the middle of that? R E N S Rensselaer. R E N S A L E E R. No, I, I'm giving oh, a God. thumbs down, Kevin or Mark. Come on. Uh, wow, my friend Hans just texted it to me. She's correct. R E N S S E L A E R Rensselaer. No chance. The A E switch would. Yeah. I'm always like, oh, me. I'm through Lafayette. Here I go. Now it's the dreaded. Bring out the you windmills know, there's, time. There's actually the windmills is just the worst. Once you get to Fair Oaks, though, I feel like then you're. There, there's good actually about it. a nice little gas station to the right in Rensselaer. Now. I have it's, been to that. New. Little food, little food pantry. Um, Alex that. Golden eight thirty. Felix Rosenquist nine. Let's sneak in Adam real quick here because I don't know when else we will. Adam, you want to talk a little Pacers lottery? Yeah, man. How y'all doing this morning? We are well. How are you? Good, man. Good. I'm. Uh, was watching the draft lottery yesterday. And uh, no surprise, we landed exactly where I thought we would at seven. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on who who you think we who we get at number seven, and uh, wanted to maybe hear your thoughts on how the Detroit Pistons feel this morning after being the worst team in basketball and still not getting a top three and top four pick in the lottery. Well, considering Detroit has considering Detroit's won the lottery a few times, I don't think they can complain too much, right? I mean, they're already pretty stacked with young talent. 17 wins, and they get the fifth pick. Uh, whether or not that's going to be legitimate <laughs> talent, we'll see. Um, as for Indiana, again, I'm going to go back to, they have the seventh pick, but they're probably going to get their th- the third choice of what they need, which is wing-defending small forwards that can score a little bit. Brandon Miller would be the ideal situation. He's going to go in the top three. And then outside of that, I mean, it, it kind of mixes up a little bit because, again, Kevin, you had mentioned, you know, Scoot Henderson theoretically is a top three player, but with Portland drafting third, what does Portland do? Because they're pretty good at that position. But do they just go best player available? Plus, they or have do a, they go ahead? I was just saying, they have a guy, Jake, in the top four or five that no other team has. Nobody has a Lillard. Correct. Up there as like an established vet, one of the best players in the NBA. Does he want to stay? Is he part of the rebuild, et cetera, et cetera? Adam, I would say it's kind of a five-man tier. Again, Webb and Yama, one. Uh, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller in some order, two, three. And then you get into a lot of wings, which is good news for the Pacers. You've got the Thompson brothers. Um, you've got Cam Whitmore from Villanova. You've got Jairus Walker from Houston and Taylor Hendricks from Central Florida. And I really like probably those those last two. I, I saw uh, Thompson. Did you say him? Yeah. And He's I, in that mix, too. I think the Thompsons could be a little bit higher, like closer to that top three. Walker is probably more of like a physical four. And listen to Kevin Pritchard, like that kind of, he's just got a look of a guy that's just kind of a tough dude. Like when I look at him, I think a little Jay Crowder. Um, whereas I love Jay Crowder. Hendricks might be a little bit more of a, hey, he can hit the open three and also give you some defensive versatility. Whereas Walker it probably has to prove the jump shot a little bit, might be a better rebounder. So those two guys, I think. If you and you're going to get two of those five that I mentioned, uh, just mathematically they're going to be on the board there. But I say spend the seventh pick, 26, 29, 32. Can you try and package that? Either get back into the uh, you know mid-teen range, and then we'll see about veterans. I mean, you can obviously try and move those picks for some established guys. So plenty of flexibility. And I tweeted it last night. I mean, the last 15 months, Kevin Pritchard deserves so much credit. You know, I feel like I was. 
um, rightfully critical of some of his drafts before, really, I guess, last year. We'll see about Duarte and, and Jackson, but he has executed this rebuild tremendously over the last year plus. Uh, let's hit a morning check down. You know, speaking of the Thompson Twins, very underrated 80s band, in my opinion. Hold Me Now is a great song. Doctor, Doctor, very good, underrated. And weren't there some pretty good basketball players as well? Not these Thompsons? Back in the... I'm trying to think of... um, 80-ish? Hold on. Well, you had Michael Thompson. Sure. Who is Clay Thompson's father. That's the Thompsons that I most think of, right? Is there a McHale Thompson? Was Kevin McHale. Sure. Or am I stretching with that one? No, you're thinking, uh, I think you're right, no, you're talking about like Mikael Thompson, M-I-K-A-I-L? I, I thought for some reason there was a Y. Well, that's Michael Thompson, who, uh, who it, was a high it, draft pick, Clay Thompson's it. father, uh, out of Minnesota, I think, is where he was out of. Uh, shout out to Bobby here, uh, Rensselaer, class of 2002, go Pumas. Really? Hell yeah. Well, uh, the Pumas are also St. is Rensselaer High School the Pumas? Because I know St. Joe's College is the Pumas. Although it's no longer around. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday, the Brewers still around. They beat the Cardinals 3-2 yesterday. It was the Reds 3-1 over the Colorado Rockies. I'm saving the Cubs score for last so that Mark doesn't swoosh me. Orioles over the Angels 7-3. White Sox winners over Cleveland 8-3. Oakland Athletics 9-8 over the Arizona Diamondbacks. Indianapolis Indians 9-1 over the Iowa Cubs. And the Astros... 7 3 over the Chicago Cubs. Do you find it fitting like when Mark wants the swoosh to work, it does? <laughs> the button's not sticking today. Mm-hmm. Funny Amazing how that, works. how that worked, yeah. Uh, Denver, they're up 1 0 over the Lakers, 132 126. Denver got off to an unbelievable start last night, but the Lakers made a run in the second half into the fourth quarter. Nikola Jokic, boy, um, to say their video game numbers would be putting it lightly 34 points, 21 rebounds, 14 assists. Uh, no one in the last 40 years of the NBA has had a game like that at halftime. Halftime last night, Nikola Jokic, 19 points, 16 rebounds, 7 assists. You know what I was saying while I was watching Jokic play last night? Oh Possession into the end zone God. for us. <laughs> it's insane. They had like 100 points with four minutes left in the four, in the third quarter. Can I knew it was going to be Rick Venturi, and I just started smiling immediately. Can we hear that one more time? Possession oh into the end zone God. for us. <laughs> Just the perfect soundbite for that. Six triple-double the postseason for him. Uh, Jamal Murray at 31. Both teams that got nice uh, efforts from their supporting cast. Denver had four guys in double figures. Uh, Austin Reeves, Rui Hachimura helped out. Anthony Davis and LeBron. Defense, obviously the issue last night. Really for both teams, but certainly much more for the Lakers. Uh, Tonight, Celtics heat. Seven and a half point. What are your thoughts? I, I would take the heat in the points. Celtics are going to win the series. Uh, I'll say the Heat win tonight and then sneak in one other one. Celtics win in six. I was going to say Celtics in six as well. Rensselaer is the Bombers, by the way, the high school. So Pumas is the college institution. St. And St. that college. is where? You know, the, the Bombers the, actually the representative of my high school algebra career. The St. Xavier Bombers as well. Is it really? Cincinnati believe that is the case there uh jake over at ims just a slight tweak in the schedule today right nothing too crazy still noon to six is the big action but 10 a.m things will get started uh gates open at 10 and then at 10 15 rc enerson will be the only car out on the track but the able motorsports rookie he is technically a rookie even though he was at the track a year ago and tried to qualify because he failed to qualify so 
he will undergo rookie orientation. Several people ask me, well, wait a minute. Why does he get the track all by himself for rookie orientation? Rookie orientation, you have to go through a series of phases to show your acumen on the racetrack before they turn you loose in the wild. He would undergo the same thing for the veterans refresher if he was not a rookie and had run the race last year because he has not been in an event since then. So either way, he would have to go through uh, a reacclimation test, if you will. That'll take place 10-15 this morning and then 12 o'clock, the all-skate. Everybody, including Enerson, should he pass rookie orientation, then all 34 cars will be out and running today. And I would anticipate plenty of laps will be turned. When I hear rookie orientation, I'm picturing like Doug Bulls. Okay, this is turn two. That's right. And then you know, turn three is over here, and that'll be the infield. So <laughs> don't look over there too much during the race, RC. You need to be focused here on the track. I have a feeling it's a little bit more high paced than that. They say that it's actually so they in rookie orientation, you do a certain number of laps under the watchful eye of the officials for IndyCar. But you have to do it at speed increments. Like, okay, now do 15 laps not to exceed 200 miles an hour. Now do 15 laps between 200 and 210, you know, that kind of thing. And a lot of the drivers will tell you that when they are going in the, like, 195 range is actually the most difficult because the cars are designed to go 220. So when you get it down in, like, the 195 range, the car is all over the place because it's not designed to go that slow. It's designed to go fast, and the faster you go, the more it sticks to the track. So they say it's pretty challenging. Just picturing a scene from Ricky Bobby with that one there. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, Felix Rosenquist at 9. On the other side, though, Alex Golden to talk Pacers Lottery. He- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. He joins us next. Jake, I'm almost waiting for the NBA to change the lottery format and show the back room part of it. Uh, For those unfamiliar... NFL would. Certainly. Um, For those unfamiliar with what we're talking about, um, behind the curtain last night, Kevin Pritchard, along with executives from, you know, all 14 teams that were represented, and they announced the four number combinations in order with the number one overall pick first. So the, the, the first combination that was announced, the order was 14, 5, and 8. That matched one of the Pacers combinations. So if you are literally sitting there, imagine being a Pacers fan and watching that, and you know the combinations, yeah. and you see 14, 5, and 8, and then they say, all right, and we'll be back from commercial with the fourth number. Now, that, that that's pretty good TV. You're right. Uh, the number ended up being 2, the fourth number. That was the Spurs. The Pacers had 6. Here's what's... Fourth number. That from Scott Agnes, by the way. This is what's confusing to me. I read that not only did the Spurs get the number one pick, but that their you know combo or whatever was pulled like four times. Yeah, the next two that. were both them. So yeah. clearly, the number one is the first thing they pull, right? Correct. They go in opposite order of how we watch it on TV. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, to talk more lottery, Alex Golden setting the pace as the podcast uh, had one up late last night recapping things. Alex, when you saw number seven for the Pacers, your reaction was ho hum. That's a that's a big you know bummer, or that's in a nice tier for Indiana. My first reaction was this sucks, but at least we didn't fall back. So obviously, everybody wanted to see the Pacers jump up, and of course, for the first time. 
after five years previously saying number seven, jump, jump into the top four, the Pacers stay at seven. I, I was just glad we didn't fall past seven because I feel like this draft has a lot of potential wings that could be really good for the Pacers. So staying at seven was not the worst-case scenario. Obviously wasn't the best, but there could have been a lot of worse things falling back, not getting the, uh, the Houston pick as well. So I think what happened last night, while it wasn't the greatest outcome, it was right there in the middle, and I feel, you know, I feel okay about it. Kevin Pritchard mentioned last night after the draft, he feels like the Pacers are in the third tier, and, and he likes that tier. And again, you can read into some of that not, might be a smokescreen, but I actually believe him. Tier one is Victor Webanyama. Tier two, presumably, is Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson. And then tier three would be a lot of those wings that you mentioned. Is that kind of how you see it, or, or do you see a little bit more division within the top seven, top eight? Yeah, it's really tough. I think that... KP's probably right with the tiers being the way that they are. I mean, obviously, when Mignogna's tier one and then Scoot and Brandon are in a, Brandon Miller are tier two. And then tier three, I think you can kind of make the case for teams four through seven, eight, making uh, a lot of different selections with the players that are on the board. So most mock drafts have been pretty consistent with their top eight, top nine for the past couple of months. And I don't think it's going to change too much, but – you, you never know what's going to happen in the next 30 days, but it feels like it's a consensus top 10 for the most part, and I think the Pacers have to feel pretty good about it because they don't need another guard, and there's a couple of guards in that top 10 that will make sense for a lot of other teams, so maybe they can get their hands on a wing that does make sense. Yeah, I was saying, and you tell me if you agree with this, like Alex, I was saying that even though they have the seventh pick, realistically they have the fourth because Webham Yama is a guy they would take clearly if they had one. So that's off the board. But then basically they are going to have, I think, their third choice of the player they need, which is a wing defender. You know, you can – do you see what I'm saying there? There are going to be probably two that go in front, and they're going to get choice number three of what they need. Because if they had the number two pick, that's the position they would be taking. Webham Yama is the only non-wing defender they would take at at any spot where they were drafting. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that if they maybe have gotten three and Miller had been taken at two, I think they would have probably really considered Scoot Henderson just because of what people believe he can be. But – I also think that would have given them a ton of trade ammunition to maybe move back a couple of picks, pick up extra stuff elsewhere. So I do I do agree, though. I think that the draft really probably starts at pick four, and the Pacers kind of have to just see how the cookie crumbles a little bit, kind of like they did last year with Mattern, because we know the whole time they had interest in Murray and Ivy. So with Mattern as well, so it was just kind of like, okay, which one do we get out of this group? And I think it worked out for all the teams involved, but I think it's going to be very similar this year because there's a lot of teams in this range that, you know, they can add wings as well. There's so many point guards like Orlando. I don't know how many more wings they can take, but I think that there's an opportunity there for them to get a point guard, which would say, okay, now maybe we get the third best wing left on the board, and I think that's what's exciting. All right, seven, uh, excuse me, seven, 26, 29, 32, and 55. Those are the five picks for the Pacers. Alex Golden from Setting the Pace. If I were to say set the over-under at the Pacers drafting two and a half players with those five picks, you go over, you go under? I'd probably go right over. I think three is the max they probably take this year. I think they're going to try to do something with 26 and 29 and, and, and maybe make a trade to move up. I don't know what that's going to look like, but uh, I don't expect them to take pick 55. I think they'll sell that pick. 
I think Kevin Pritchard really likes 632 because of the optionality you have with it not being on a guaranteed contract. They can kind of make their own contract up similar to what they did with Nimhard last year. So um, I think that they're going to hold on to that one and probably seven and then see if they can move 26 and 29 to move up maybe into the middle of the lottery. But I think, you know, at 32, it just depends on what player you get. Obviously, Andrew Nimhard was a ready-now player, but maybe you go after someone that's a little bit younger that has a little bit more upside and you realize we got an extra two-way spot here based on the new CBA rules. So maybe they're thinking we can take a risk here at 32 and, and, and work it that way. But, yeah, I think three is the perfect number. Okay, and, and let's get a little deeper into potentially trading and moving some of those picks. It sounded like you are a fan of moving up, you know, kind of packaging the late first-rounders, move up. I, I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, it seems like Kevin Pritchard, though, talks a little bit more about, hey, don't forget about moving those picks for maybe a 2024 pick because obviously the Pacers yeah. don't have as much ammo necessarily moving forward. And then also you would throw out moving a pick or two, maybe even a top 10 pick for a veteran and make a huge splash in that route. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on either of those ideas? Yeah, I, I definitely think KP's on to something with potentially moving those picks back into another draft because – at this point, like you said, there's just too many guys, and it depends on what they do and how aggressive they want to be. And if they're able to find a team that's hungry to get a pick this year, and then they end up having a bad season next year, maybe you get a pick from them. So that's not a bad idea, actually, and it, and it could make some sense to kind of like move your assets into a different year and then just have that ammunition. But I think when you look at moving up in this year's draft, for me, I'm looking at a certain range, and that's around like 17, 18, 19, that range, maybe 19, 20. I think Miami, Golden State, and the Lakers are there. And I feel like those are all teams that are going to have a lot of salary cap questions and how they're going to be able to build their team. So it could make a lot of sense for the Pacers to say, hey, we'll give you two picks. You move back a little bit. And maybe the, maybe they find a player and they're involved in a trade. I don't, I don't have any specifics right now. But I just think that maybe you could find a way to package two for one because you're helping those teams save a little bit of money by also – giving them options to kind of have guys under team control for, for lesser money as well. And there's a lot of talent in this draft, I think, that those veteran, te- those veteran teams could find veteran college players to help their team. But in terms of moving up or moving that pick out of seven, that's, a, that's an interesting question as well. I don't, I don't know exactly what veteran will be available for the Pacers. And I think if you look at the way contracts are made now, most of the guys you're going to get, they're only going to be guaranteed for three to four years. So if you're able to pull something off and get a guy for three to four years, it does make sense to maybe think about that. But the name that's been thrown around here a ton in Indiana is OGN and OB, but he's got a player option next year. There's no way that I'm trading something like pick seven for someone like OGN and OB because of the simple fact he could be gone after this season where you're going to have that player you pick at seven under team control for potentially the next nine years. So, that's where I think you really have to weigh your options, but I, I think the Pacers would be better off holding on to seven and not trying to force and, and rush this rebuild too quickly. Here is a a really good question probably for Kevin Pritchard, but I want your thought on it, Alex Golden. As we have gotten more into the NBA draft being drafting on potential as opposed to like known quantity because of the young age of, of which players are now being drafted. And when you factor in that guys like Jokic was a second rounder, Giannis was a mid first rounder, the international flair of it, or players developing once they are actually in a building for a year or two, has it devalued at all a top five pick versus 10 years ago? 
that's a great question. I, I'm not 100 percent sure how to answer this correctly, but I, I don't I don't think it does too much because I think overall the scouts and a lot of people that cover the NBA draft are very smart about realizing talent. Yes, there are your anomalies, but there's going to be those every year, and I feel like there's been those in every draft, and I think a lot of it just comes down to situation and how they worked out. So I, I know that there's always misses, too, in the top of the draft, but I, I don't think that it matters that much. I think that you just have to be really smart with your scouting and, and trust your scouts. You know, there's been teams that have been notorious for finding those diamond in the roughs, but there's also been teams that have really struggled because they're too they're, they're too in shock with the, like the intangibles and stuff like that, looking at, oh, well, he's got a seven-foot wingspan and he can jump this high. Well, can he play basketball? I mean, you got to be able to determine skill set versus athleticism and, and measurement. I think that's the big thing here is not just getting so infatuated with what a player, you know, they could potentially be, but how do they actually play basketball? Because there's too many guys in this league, uh, I think Paul George and DeMar DeRozan were talking about on their podcast, that just aren't very good, but they're in the NBA and it's like, okay, I think we got to do a better job of evaluating, but I still think that the top-tier talent is there for a reason. And there's just going to be lucky guys that fall in the draft and end up making a name for themselves when that comes down later to it. Yeah, for every Giannis and Jokic, there's dozens of TJ Leafs and Gogas in that same sort of range. Um, Alex Golden with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, setting the pace is the podcast. An absolute great listen for Pacers fans out there. Alex, I, I would assume you've gotten this popular question from a lot of people. Hey, trade your entire first-round haul and get number two or get number three. Uh, probably easier said than done when you talk about what Brandon Miller and potentially Scoot Henderson and how they're kind of viewed by NBA teams. But Portland at three is interesting to me. Like, I mean, what do they do with Lillard and how do they view where they're at right now? Um, you know, do they totally want to blow it up and go like Thunder, like Utah? sort of get a ton of picks and, and, and more quantity over high-end quality. I, I don't see Charlotte being willing to move. They need a star in that market. I get LaMelo Ball, but he's been you know very injured. Uh, Portland is, is a, going to be one, in my opinion, to watch considering Lillard. What are your thoughts on, on maybe a team listening to some calls at two or three? Yeah, I think Charlotte's one of those teams that they should really just consider staying at two. And I'm not I'm not sure what Charlotte's gonna do, but I, I just feel like they're kind of in a little bit of a rebuild mode. They got that whole Miles Bridges situation. He's suspended for the first ten games of next year. He'll come back. They got PJ Washington restricted free agency, and then Lamelo Ball. Um, for me personally, I would I would strongly consider drafting Scoot Henderson if I was the Hornets and looking to move Lamelo Ball. Maybe see if they can play together. But if they don't, maybe you move off Lamelo and, and see what you can get for him there. Uh, and there probably could be a team like Houston that's very star power hungry. Maybe they want Lamelo. Could you trade Lamelo for four? I think that's an interesting thing there. But Portland, when it comes to the Pacers and trading up with Portland, that's a really tough one because you know I look at this Pacers roster and I'm like, what really do we have a value that we're going to trade to get us moved up there? I mean, it's probably going to take six, seven plus Mather and plus your other first round picks to do it. And, and is that really worth it? I mean, I think that. Maybe it does make sense, but I'm not sure I'm ready to punt on Mattern after one season and have promising itself. So I don't think the Pacers have the ammunition player-wise to do it. They, they do have future picks and all that stuff, which is very important. But I don't know if Portland would do that and, and move back four spots when they're going to get somebody in that tier two at three. So 
for me, the Pacers right now, like I said earlier, I think it just kind of makes sense to sit on their hands here for this draft. They'll get over-anxious and, and try to make some massive trade at the draft uh, on draft day and just take the best player available at seven and continue to see how, how things shake out because we know in today's NBA – the next star could always be available. You just don't want to give away all your assets too early and get yourself stuck in a situation like Minnesota did with Rudy Gobert. I can't see them. Did he just Alex. say pun on Matherin? I almost almost well, hung up the phone and even the thought, Alex. Yeah, I can't see them. And Alex, I realize you're not suggesting this. I'm saying hypothetically speaking. It would not seem to be worthwhile to flip Matherin into other pieces because whatever pieces you get back, you are in. You are hoping that those pieces are able to develop because of and along with Matherin. You know what I mean? Like he is an important piece of whoever they bring in. Right. I mean, he's he's the future of the backcourt, and that's the that's the bottom line there. And, and Kevin Pritchard was talking glowingly about Matherin. I'm just saying he's probably your best trade asset as you're looking to move. That Correct. He's their he he would be their wow. most desirable piece or Halliburton, and I don't you know those that's their cornerstone though. I yeah. know what you're saying. I got jolted though. <laughs> no, I feel you. Like Miles Turner, like yeah, we love Miles Turner. He's had a great year last year. He's probably the third best player on this team moving forward right now. But what team is trading for a center that's only got two years left on his contract to move back four spots in the draft? I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, even though I do think Portland could use a massive upgrade at center. I just don't think that someone like Miles is really going to move the needle to get you four picks up in this draft, knowing the tears. Uh, okay, Alex, last one for me. And again, setting the pace, Alex Golden. That's the podcast. Alex Golden with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. The two names that have kind of caught my eye – the most in that seven range is Jairus Walker out of Houston and Taylor Hendricks out of Central Florida. Um, you can go multiple ways with that, either on those two guys or is there another name that I should be talking about a little bit more at seven? I think these two names probably fit the Pacers the most right now in terms of what they need. They're both more likely power forwards uh, that can maybe guard three and two, I think. I think both could play small ball five. I think uh, Taylor Hendricks is probably a little bit uh, light for that. I, I think that Jarris Walker would be a better option playing a little bit small ball five. I think both guys make a lot of sense for the Pacers. And the, another name I'm looking at here because he's kind of been falling around like the six to eight range is Asar Thompson. I feel like that's more of your high upside swing. I know so many people and so many fans are so turned off by uh, the Thompson twins because they played in the OTE, but I do believe in his potential. And from every person I've talked to that, that covers the draft, they just talk about the Thompson Twins and their work ethic and their desire to get better. He was the MVP of the OTE. He's a better scorer than his brother. He's got playmaking ability. I feel like the upside there with the Star Thompson is, is much higher than both Hendricks and Walker. But I do believe that uh, if you're looking at a team that the Pacers that want to probably compete next season, the best that I think to try to get to the playoffs next year is Jarris Walker. He's, he's ready now. I think he's got a pretty high floor. I uh, don't know how high his ceiling is, but I think he can come in right away and be that starter next to Miles, where I think if you draft a Taylor Hendricks, I don't know if he'd be ready to start right away, but I do think that his potential is a little bit higher um, in a couple of years than Jared Walker. At Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. Great draft coverage, uh, certainly over the next month or so, as the Pacers have a lot of, in Kevin Pritchard's words, optionality coming up here this offseason. Alex, great stuff, man. Thanks for hopping on with us. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate it. Alex Golden, Payless Liquors Hotline. Jake, I almost asked you for Motman's number when he brought up trading Matherin. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, Mottman would happily help out with the well, cardiovascular issues. He would probably help out a lot if he said, yeah, train him to the Pistons. <laughs> yeah, he'd be up for that as well. You know, Ben Wallace last night, I, I, you know, I just... Really? Doesn't it Doesn't it take... Put Jay Nivey up there. Here's the thing. Put Kate Cunningham. Cunningham. Ben Wallace has been there a few... I, I in the like row, has, right? Yeah. Two it, or three? What kind of... Like, it takes some... What's the word? Like, hubris? How do you say that word? Hubris? Hubris. Yeah. Hubris? Mm-hmm. Hubris? No. Hubris. Wrong. Hubris. Incorrect. Shocking. A word about greed. You have trouble... <laughs> I think hubris is more less about greed and more about self confidence, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say. But, like, what kind of hubris does it take to send to an NBA function the player that was your player that was the cornerstone of and to some extent the instigator of the largest, like, controversy in NBA history? Yes. I could not. And I like Ben Wallace. Put Rip Hamilton up there on the mask for all I care. Yeah, I mean. Tayshawn Prince? What's Rasheed Wallace doing? I was going to say, put, put Sheed up there. Tayshawn Prince? Now, Chauncey Billups coaches the Trailblazers, right? Does he still? Seems like they... Don't feel like he's been doing it too the, long, the Blaze, right? I know, but I mean, I mean, Doc Rivers is out, right? Like, it's just a constant... You want to talk about ping pong balls? It's the, the, the coaching ping pong balls just constantly bounce around. Right? It is kind of wild, like... Hey, I've lived under a rock for the last 18 months. Hey, welcome back. Uh, Mike Budenholzer, Doc Rivers, Monty Williams, and Nick Nurse are all unemployed. Name five other NBA coaches. <laughs> Remember the game we played when the Pacers were, were playing the Thunder that one night and we tried to name the Thunder head coach? Yeah. Impossible. Uh, great draft stuff there from Alex Golden. Felix Rosenquist on the other side. Car's going to get on the track here shortly over at IMS. Boy, this looks like just a postcard type day. No doubt. Over there at 16th and Georgetown. A lot of track activity expected. Talk with Felix Rosenquist about it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Nine o'clock hour underway, and that means an hour and 15 minutes from now, engines will roar to life at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. At least one of them will. R.C. Enerson, a rookie, of course, for Able Motorsports. I say rookie. He, If the name sounds familiar to you, it's because he attempted last year to qualify for the 500. He was bumped. So as a result of that, he is still technically a rookie. He will have to undergo the rookie orientation at 10-15, and then at 12 o'clock, everything gets underway, all cars out on the track. That includes our next guest, who will be piloting the number six Aero McLaren machine. Felix Rosenquist joins us on the program. And Felix, we'll begin with this. I, I was curious about this yesterday for those that are unfamiliar, and it looks spectacular today. But what do you guys do during a rain delay? Like yesterday, you're out there, it's 55 degrees. It's There's no more depressing place on earth when it rains. So how did you kill the time yesterday? Oh, dude, it's uh, so actually we spent. I spent some time um, on Chat GPT. Do you know what that is? It's like an AI <laughs> robot. You can ask anything. What but were you asking? Mexico's most uh, famous uh, celebrity. 
and it didn't say Pato Award. <laughs> so, so what we're saying is, <laughs> it's artificial and intelligent, is what you're saying. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Did you ask uh, who, who Sweden's biggest celebrity is? I already know, so I, I didn't. Even, I didn't even have to ask it. <laughs> and the answer to that is who? Marcus Erickson. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. Um, so Felix Rosenquist joins us. Let's begin with this, and it's it's always good to talk to you, man. We appreciate the time. Uh, what's the game plan for today? You know, a lot of people. Kevin was asking earlier, does this prioritize today, or in reality, do you guys have a pretty good idea of what and where your cars are? I mean, compared to last year, the cars are fairly similar. You know, there's some aero bits that are different, so I think that's the main thing. We want to get some good aero runs in, just try uh, clean air runs, basically. Uh, so I think that will probably be our morning here, uh, get, get our heads a little bit back in that game and then uh, but i think there, there'll be traffic running going probably you know around four or five today um some some big groups forming but yeah you know we, we have quite a lot of running i'm, I'm sure it's going to be maybe one or two rain delays at some point but uh we, we feel like we have a pretty good idea uh and it's the same for everyone right so not really not freaking out yet but i guess, I guess uh I guess if there'll be rain around qualifying time, that would be a bit more stressful because, like, getting your your qualifying car set up is a bit more important. You know, you, you don't you don't want to make any mistakes on 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 that car. And going into fast Friday, you want to make sure you know, every run is is solid and clean. So uh, yeah, so far we're we're very calm and we're looking forward to get back out there. You know, I had two days rained out now, so uh, it's about time to do some laps. Felix, um, yeah, I feel like in a way you you're, you're kind of lurking, like entering this 500. You had a great qualifying you know, run last year in the first three rows. You finished fourth. You've got three straight top tens coming into this year's 500. In a way, do you kind of feel like you know, maybe a little bit under the radar, but like there's a lot of momentum based off last year's success here at the 500 and what you've done here over the last couple of races. Yeah, I would say so. You know, it's funny in IndyCar now because even when you finish, you know, fifth or sixth, which is really difficult, you know, you don't really, you know, people mainly care about who wins the race. And as you say, you're kind of like lurking under the radar and you're just waiting for the opportunity to to get get a big one. So uh, for, for sure, I feel, I feel like we have good momentum on the sixth car. You know, the whole Aaron McLaren team has good momentum in general. I feel like we're We've been one of the teams that, you know, maybe we haven't been the absolute quickest, but we've been there in about every race. And and that's kind of the key in IndyCar right now. You don't want to have any weak uh, weekends, basically. And, and I feel like we're just knocking everywhere right now. So so that's awesome. And, and, and going into in, in, May, in May with that feeling is even more exciting. And as I say, I had a really solid run here last year when we, you know, leading the race with not many laps to go so uh uh yeah I feel, I feel like we have every reason to be to be excited right now i thought you were going to win last year honestly like late in the race felix i can't remember how late it was they all kind of run together to me after a while but i remember you were you were leading late and i can't remember what it was did you have to make maybe a fuel stop or you were a little off strategy but i, I i'm just curious of this from a driving perspective is it dangerous for you late in the race to start getting caught up in what might be unfolding for you? I mean, I know you've got to just take it lap by lap, 
but you're leading the Indy 500 late and you're looking at fuel and you're figuring, you know, you're wondering what's going to go on. How do you keep your focus? I mean, yeah, it, it, that, that's true. You, you don't really want to start thinking about <laughs> winning the race too, too early. And, and what, what you mentioned there, that was actually 2021 where we were off strategy and kind of just hoping for a yellow. Okay. Uh, didn't and you, work and you had to pit late, right? Yes, yeah. correct. But then uh, last year we were actually leading the race outright with the, you know, after the last pit sequence, uh, you know, right with Dixon had his penalty and, uh, and then Marcus was just catching us too quickly and, and we couldn't keep him behind us. And then Pardo came kind of with him at the same time. Um, but it, it was cool to kind of, you know, just show everyone that we were, you know, after that last pit stop, we were right up there leading the race on a green flag race. So uh, that, that just shows what we can do. And, and, and even that time, as we said, like you, you start thinking a little about about winning the race, but you, then you look how many laps you have to go. Like, oh, it's going to be, it's not going to be a cruise to the finish. You know, it, it never is to the 500. You know, I think maybe only Alex ex- has experienced that to actually work out for a win. Um but yeah, you know, you never know how it's going to play out. You just have to be, you know, try to keep within the top five. That's always what I said around here. You know, if you can be top five in the final stint, you know, any, anything can happen. So which is more nerve-wracking, leading the race late like you did two years ago, knowing that you're going to need some cautions and some help, but you've got a good car, or leading the race late like you did a year ago, but knowing that you're kind of slipping backwards and that there are better cars behind you that you've got to hold off. I think last year was more nerve wracking because you, you know, you have the fuel, you know that you can push and you just, it, it just hurts when you see the cars getting bigger in your mirror every lap. And, uh, man, it, but I think that's a better way. It's still like you, you, you know that you're in the mix for real and you know that. Uh, no matter if you know yellows or not, like you, you're going to be up there fighting till the end. That, that's a cool feeling, you know. The, the first time you 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 have the opportunity to win the 500 like that, I, I feel like it's, it's something just changes in, in you, and you 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 know it's, it's, it's a goal just to be in that position. And you know you're not going to be in that position every year. You know, there's so many competitive cars, and, and you, you yeah, it's, it's a rare opportunity. Felix Rosenquist is our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. He, of course, drives the number six Aero McLaren machine. You can meet Felix Rosenquist coming up a week from Thursday from 4.30 until 6.30 p.m. at the Crawfordsville Road Kroger. That's the Speedway Kroger. He's going to be there. We had a lot of fun with that last year. Mapata Award, all part of Mission Foods that is putting that together. So, again, we'll get you more of that information as we get closer to it. But mark your calendar for a week from Thursday. Felix, in, in talking about Pata Award, let me give you the outsider perspective, and then I want you to tell me how accurate this perspective is, okay? Yeah. And the outside perspective of your team, and in particular you and Pata Award, is that Pata Award is this excitable, very talented young driver. Um, I mean, obviously, like yourself, you have come in with massive accolades and winning a lot of races, over 30 races in different series coming into IndyCar. And you got with the team, and there was this outside perspective that perhaps Felix, Felix Rosenquist's ride was going to be available from Aero McLaren, and that you were going to have to go somewhere else. But that Pata Award and the unique, because oftentimes teammates are competitors against one another, and there was this unique chemistry between you and Pata Award from both the friendship inside and outside the paddock that kind of forced Aero McLaren 
to give it another run and it is paying off because you are running up front along with Pato, but that your friendship with him was working for the team and that's what has brought cohesiveness that also has brought in Alexander Rossi. Your thoughts on just that outsider perspective, is there any accuracy to any of that? Well, that's a good analysis and I'm I'm not sure, you know, honestly, even if I'm in the middle of it, I, I don't know all the, you know, details that make these decisions happen and I think probably the biggest one was just performance. Uh <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I think it means a lot for the team when, when the drivers get along and it, it's kind of crucial for a team. If you want to if you want to win championships and win races, it's going to be a lot easier doing that if the teammates get along and because and, that's going to mean that you, you can help each other, you know, develop the car. You're not going to hide stuff from each other. And, you, you know, we're still very competitive against each other, as you could hear in the beginning of this call. <laughs> uh, but... but uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it has some, something to do with it, and maybe not. But I, I think n- no matter what, you know, we, we're, we're having a good thing going. And, and you know, we're, we're like brothers at this, at this point, and it, it certainly helps. And having Alex in the team is also really awesome. And, you know, I, I feel like he he's really come out of his shell coming into our team as well. And, and you know, before it was me and Pato, and now it's the three of us, and we've we hang a lot. We hang out a lot, you know, both on the track and outside the track, and it, it, it's just great where you can have that going. Which also, I think, is kind of rare. Yeah, Alex, being Alexander Rossi, for those that are unfamiliar, who left Andretti Autosport last year, joined the team this year, uh, and then you also add in Tony Kanan, who brings the veteran presence. Um, if you could, Felix Rosenquist, elaborate for us a little more on what both Alexander Rossi and then in this month of May situation, Tony Kanan bring to you. Well, it's funny because I feel like me and Alex are probably more similar personality-wise, and then Tony and Pato are a bit more similar, even if they have the biggest age gaps. You know, I, I can see some similarities in, in, in Pato and Tony. They're, they're, they're very high energy, uh, very you know outspoken, very forward, and, and me and Alex are a bit more reserved and kind of just focusing more on driving and and not not maybe as present in, you know, media, fans and stuff like that. So it, it, it's kind of interesting to see how, like, four, four people with and two of them have very similar personalities. Uh, but it's it's awesome to have both Alex and Tony on, on the team. You know, they, they both won the 500, and, and that kind of speaks for itself. And to, to get that experience on board from one year to the other, from having zero 500 winners, uh, but close close 500 winners, and, the, and then having all of a sudden two on board and having uh, one more car as well, that that's just huge for the team. And you, you just feel the, the confidence in the team after that and, and just lis- listening to you know, Alex and especially Tony, you know, having so many years under his belt here, it's just, you know, you always learn something when, when he's out and when he, when he starts talking, you definitely listen up. So it, it's, it's pretty cool, man. Again, Felix Rosenquist is with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline, fourth in the 500 last year, coming off three top tens, headed into today's, I guess, kind of first official day uh, on the track. It looks to be a gorgeous day out there. Felix, if you don't mind, um, kind of indulge me here for, for, for a second, and um, you can't pick one of your teammates with this, okay? Uh, ten laps to go in the race. You've got two cars to pass. You can't pick yourself. You can't pick a teammate. Who would you want behind the wheel? Um, you mean like who do I want to fight 
for the win with. Yeah, who do you think would be like the most talented driver in that situation? You know, you're a car owner, whatever. You're in third place. You need to pass two cars. Who would you want behind the wheel? Uh, um, I'd probably say Dixon, man. Uh, I feel like he's just been knocking on the door here every year, and especially last year. And I've, I, I was right there with him when he had that you know penalty last year and i really felt for him and i i feel like he's he's a he's a, he's a worthy winner here and he definitely deserves more wins than he, he's had so I, i'll probably if i if i would take a driver i'll put my money on him and then the flip side of that would you go with him if you needed someone to maybe hold off two cars over the final 10 laps uh <laughs> You mean like to defend, basically? Yeah, basically to defend. I guess mm. kind of snake it up, if you will, like we've seen. Oh, dude, I don't think I need Kevin Magnuson back. <laughs> 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 he's like the master defender. Uh, and he's been in like, like a Santino number of different kinds like of cars, which probably helps. I feel like maybe Santino can be a good defender. Ooh, really? Interesting. Ferrucci, yeah. okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Hey, Felix, yeah. you, Felix Rosenquist is our guest again a week from Thursday, 4.30 until 6.30. He'll be at the Speedway Kroger on Crawfordsville Road along with Mission Foods. Um, and Pato Award will be there as well. Uh, Felix, do you still live? I know at one time you were living in Indy virtually year-round. Are you still living here year-round? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I'm in Carmel these days. And uh actually just got a house there. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, it was supposed to be done in February, but it, it got done like two weeks ago. So it's a busy month of May in in, in all regards, right? <laughs> what? Let me ask you this: Is there a part of, and in any way, shape, or form, I'm fascinated by people who grow up in another country, speak another language, have another culture, and then come to Indianapolis. I mean, this is not New York, right? But. Yeah. Is there any part of Indianapolis in any way, shape, or form that reminds you of home? If is there any one thing that makes you feel good inside because it just kind of reminds you of where it is that you come from? Oh, good question. Um, not man, it's so different. It's well, like where I'm from is very flat as well. So I, I guess that's just coming. It's already like home when <laughs> considering that. Uh, there's some lakes, man, like Lake Monroe. It kind of reminds you of home a little bit. Like there's a lot of lakes where I grew up in Sweden. Uh, so when you're out on the water, it kind of reminds you a little bit. But uh, man, it's it's so different that it, it's becoming a different home. But it's, it's never the same, I guess. Yeah. I mean, how do you avoid getting homesick i know you're an adult you're a grown man right but still that's i mean it's just such a different world away there have to be times where you get up in the morning and just think you know i i really would just like to to be home right now <laughs> dude actually actually not for me because I, I mean I've, I've always been traveling since i was you know go-karts when i was like 12 years old i've always been flying around everywhere and actually when i came over here it, it became more of a permanent location than i had for you know the past 15 years so actually it's opposite i kind of enjoy to just be here and kind of calling it home uh instead of just looping around the world uh, like i did before i came to indycar so it, yeah it, it's actually a more calm lifestyle and and it's in the in the past 20 years it's actually the place where i feel 
yeah, more more permanently connected to. It's kind of weird to say that, but it, it, it's actually true. Felix, last one for me. I absolutely love, love the paint schemes for Aaron McLaren here in the 500. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You've got a little bit more of the white aspect to it with the orange trim. Is that right? Correct. I, I have the good-looking one. Yeah. The, the best-looking <laughs> one. They, they, all, they all look sick, man. They all look really, really good. So they look we're, awesome. We're, we're ce- celebrating McLaren's, uh, you know, they, they've the only team in the world who's done a triple crown, which means you won the Monaco GP, the Le Mans, and the Indy 500. So we're basically racing those actual liveries that were won. Uh, so my one is the Monaco 84 with Alan Prost, and and it just looks wow. amazing, man. It's uh, it's such a cool retro livery, and I'm, I'm super proud to have it. And the car just looks. It just looks like speed, even even standing in the garage. <laughs> I just think running for McLaren in general, it is such a historic team worldwide, to your point, that, that being able to say that you're a driver for McLaren would be, I mean, that would be pretty cool. That would be right on the top of my resume. I'm going to give you a trivia question before we let you go, Felix. We'll see if you get it correct. You ready? Okay, let's go. If, if you get this right, by the way, I, I, I can't even Come begin on, to Felix. tell you how impressed I'll be. Uh, Kevin, you can join in and help if you'd like. Oh, boy. Felix, I'm going to give you the name of a few drivers in Indy 500 history. Fred Frame, Bill Cummings, Mario Andretti, Al Unser, Bobby Rahal, and Dario Franchitti. Can you guess what those drivers have in common where you have an opportunity to put your name in the list with those drivers? And I, I mention them to you as a token of good luck. Hmm. They all—they've all won the five hundred. Uh, Boy, he's right there during a yellow flag. Ooh, man, you were close. They all won it, in like their fifth start or whatever number start he's. Kevin about to make. Bowen with the win. Felix, you will be starting your fifth <laughs> Indianapolis five hundred should you qualify, and those men uh, all okay. won in their first one in their fifth start. So you would join. Oh, pretty good company um last one and and i'm really proud of myself a sign of my maturation felix i've not mentioned swedish fish that's the first time i've ever interviewed you and we're not going to go there but your favorite abba song oh dancing queen without question (laughs) without question it's gonna be stuck in my head the rest of the day he went with the generic one on that (laughs) how about the winner takes it all it should be the winner takes it all right no it's too 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 uh too standard we have to go with something different (laughs) all right i love it felix good luck today man good luck the next couple of weeks we'll be rooting for you thank you very much guys Felix Rosenquist, the pride Car- of Carmel, number six, the pride of Car- It was our Carmel connection there, <laughs> is how we were able to get that one. Jake, that livery pops, man. All three of them, all three of those cars. That's gonna be easy for you to call those three. Rossi is like all orange, pretty much, a little bit of blue trim. The uh, problem Felix is Felix has got the white and the orange, and then Pato is all black. The problem is Rossi's car looks a lot like Dixon's. So we need those two separate from one another. Ooh, see, I think Dixon's got more blue. It does. It does. Now, Rosenquist's primary NTT one really looks like Dixon. Like on road courses, it's sometimes tough. Now, I didn't want to tell Felix this, but I'll share it with you, okay? And the betting app that I use actually has pulled down their Indy 500 odds, but I put 10 bucks on two drivers last week to win the 500. There were two that just kind of jumped out the page to like, those odds? Those are not going to stay those odds. 10 bucks on Felix Rosenquist. Okay. 
at plus 2,800. Wow, yeah, that's... A, 10 that's, to win 280 and 10 on Elio. 10 to win 300 on Elio. Yeah, I would have done the same. I mean, I I know I asked him it and I kind of baited him into it, Jake, but don't you for don't you think like in a way, and this might be a bit hyperbole, don't you feel like Rosenquist has got a bit of a Marcus Erickson lurking yes. feel into yes. this year's five hundred? Yes, he he is a very smart driver. I think he's learned a lot. He's the fourth um, driver on his team, if you probably are gonna list the most popular guys, things like that. Again, top ten last year, top five last year. Very solid driver. I mean, really a good driver. Has won races in the series. Obviously, a really likable guy. I would love for people to, and I say this about half the guys we talk to. I get it, but if you were look, if you were somebody new to the sport and you're like, you know what, I want to get on the ground floor on somebody that that is, you know, it's easy to be a Yankees fan. It's easy to be a a Cubs fan yeah. because, or Dodgers. Or be a fan, fan like Jimmy Cook. But it's easy to be a Cubs fan. What? Well, I'm saying, I mean, there, you know, who isn't a Cubs fan? Is what I'm saying. And, okay. you know, Rosenquist, it would be like if in Major League Baseball, if you're like, you know what, like I'm going to be a Padres fan or, or so, you know, really good, but you don't meet a lot of people that that's because of the fact that Pata Award and Alex Alexander Rossi are the, the known commodities. And Rosenquist is really coming into his own, I think. Uh, our Arrow Tour continues tomorrow with Pato Award and Alexander Rossi to close <laughs> out the week there so really looking forward obviously to those conversations if you missed it tony Kanan yesterday up on the podcast and mark you retweeted the look of those cars yeah oh feel that that is a sweet design yeah very good looking car on the track here in a bit uh all right pop quiz coming up in a few that is a pair of tickets to the 500 we'll round out things today with a little bit of a pj championship preview as the second major of the year for golf is underway. Will Haskett will join us for now. Let's do a morning check down. Uh, speaking of Vegas, they clearly know something. The six and a half spread last night. Well, the Denver Nuggets won by six. 132-126. Nikola Jokic did things we have not seen an NBA player do in more than 40 years with his night last night. Hell, by halftime last night, he had one of the best games Unreal. you will see. Uh 34 points, 21 rebounds, 14 assists for the Joker. Jamal Murray had 31. Anthony Davis, 40 and 10. LeBron, nearly a triple-double. Jake, the Stars really performed, but defensively, uh, too many issues for the Lakers. Yeah, and you know what? Look, Denver's offense, too, they're going to give you fits because they can score in so many different ways, and they can score quickly. You know, that, that doesn't even count for a fact or count into the fact a guy like Jamal Murray can catch fire when you're trying to shut down Jokic and then you know Aaron Gordon can play. I mean they've got they got a lot of weapons, man. They got a lot of weapons. So uh, one game love now Denver up in the Western Conference finals. East of course it is Boston and Miami getting underway tonight. We were both saying I think Miami takes game one and then Boston wins in six. Uh, looking at the lottery from last night, the order will be the Spurs getting Victor Webanyama. Number two is Charlotte. Number three is Portland. The Pacers seventh. So they were uh, the odds had them as the eighth pick was the most likely, thirty five percent chance. So no one jumped them. So they do stay there at seven. Uh, so they're five picks for the draft coming up on June twenty second. Seven twenty six twenty nine thirty two. And then 55, Kevin Pritchard said several times last night, don't expect all five of those picks to be used. So some wheeling and dealing for the Pacers here 
over the next month. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday. Reds a winner. So too Milwaukee over St. Louis. It was the Orioles over the Angels 7-3. White Sox a winner 8-3 over Cleveland. Astros over the Cubs 7-3. And the Indianapolis Indians 9-1 winners over the Iowa Cubs. That sound is so disgusting, by the way. No. I have been told that that the is going to be... The fact that that was all natural was I, I was going to say, I've been told that that has been nominated for some acoustic awards. I've been told that that's gone the way of uh, Mr. Gilmore in that clip. I ah, think that one's still alive on that well. one. Maybe one more time, Mark. Yeah. There we go. Nice. Uh, coming up next on Kevin and Quarry, Pop Quiz Time. Pair of tickets to the 500. Will Haskett joins us in about 10. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Before we get to the Pop Quiz, we've got a fun event for you right here at our station in the lobby coming up on Monday nights. It is Tales from the Track featuring Ed Carpenter. He'll be with Hammer and Nigel from 6 to 8 p.m., Tickets online, WIBC.com. You get dinner, drink ticket, uh, registration for door prizes, Q&A, of course, with Ed, meet and greet, and a photo. So plenty of laughs and um, certainly a couple cold ones there. Uh, again, tickets, WIBC.com. Ed Carpenter, probably one of the more unique perspectives, really, of any driver in the field in the sense of he, of course, is driving and has driven in many Indianapolis 500s, but also is a... Uh, car owner how many years has he been an owner in the 500 now um boy that's a good question 98 or 99 scotty is that right that long i think that's right yeah if you combine it with sarah fisher and but his 20th uh, as a driver here uh actually you know what you may be right because uh he was driving for cheever in the beginning so we'll, we'll say 16 years how's that Certainly one always to look for from a qualifying standpoint. He's been up there and has had some chances uh, late in the race, but I would say um, getting that car figured out from a racing standpoint to match what they usually do in qualifying speed, the goal for Ed Carpenter Racing this month. Uh, All right, Jake, it's time for a pop quiz. Number one through eight. Uh, That's a good question. Today is practice day number one, so we'll go with number one. How's that? Who we got, Mark? Brian. Brian. Hello. Brian, hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Brian, are you a Indy 500 fan? Oh, you bet. Your favorite driver of all time? Dixon. And by the way, can I go ahead and pick my number for this year? <laughs> oh, I'll pick Dixon. I had Dixon last year. When I brought up Greedy earlier, you know, Jake, maybe it's Brian. You That's know, right. he's getting a pair of tickets to the 500, and he also wants Scott Dixon in the number draw. Brian, how many 500s have you been to? I've uh, since '96 was my first year, and uh, I've haven't missed one since, except for the pandemic years. How old a fella are you? I'm uh, 57. Okay, and so in '96 was your first year. Um, 
because so obviously you were an adult before you first went had you just moved to indy or was there a reason why it was not until adulthood you went not that there's anything wrong well, with that, but. Uh, well my dad used to take me when i was a kid to the time trials all the time he would never take me to the race because of the big party scene i guess when i was, I was younger <laughs> and then uh 96 was my first race and i haven't stopped going that's awesome man where do you sit I usually sit between uh, three and four. I like three. I've sat. The only place I haven't sat was is turn two. Okay, Brian. I I've usually everywhere. Usually sitting four. This year, I'm like right at the start of one. Um, you, you think that's uh, what am I getting myself into? A little bit more of an upgrade from I, where I, I was. Sat in, I sat on the outside of turn one when Tony, the year Tony Canon won it, and that was one of the most exciting races. There were so many lead changes. Oh yeah, 2013. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a great race, and that was a great place to sit too. But it, it, you're crammed in there pretty good, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was gonna say that is probably the one drawback. Early, early look, and I stress early. Does um, seem like the temperature is gonna rise next week potentially into race weekend. All right, Brian, uh, congrats on the pair of tickets. Good luck to you guys, Scott Dixon and uh, Jake. Go ahead and lead them off here. All right, here we go. Question number one for you, Brian. Since the current NBA draft lottery format began in 2019. How many times has the team with the worst record been awarded the number one overall pick? A, zero. B, one. C, two. D, three. I'm going to have to go with two. What's my, what, what do I find to be a very underrated candy bar that I've talked about on this program? Zero. Okay. All right, number two here, Brian. Uh, the Spurs will then Overrated, I would say. Yeah, I would say that is smart. Uh, Spurs won the number one overall pick in last night's draft lottery. It'll be the third time the Spurs have had the top pick in the draft. Name one of the two Hall of Famers they took previously with the number one pick. Uh, Robinson and... Uh, I just said one of the two, so you're good. Yeah, I know. I don't, I've seen both of them last night on TV when I was watching the game, so they're watching the draw. Chick just said I was number one. That's right. <laughs> I want you to go back and think about when you were about 24 years old here, Brian, for question number three, okay? Roughly 24 years old. The Pacers will pick seventh in this month's NBA draft, or next month's NBA draft. They picked number seven overall once in their NBA history. Sabir, I was born. In 1989. Who did they take? Was it Clark Kellogg, George McLeod, Eric Dampier, or Chuck Person? Chuck Person? I'll I'll give you this hint. With the seventh pick in the 1989 NBA draft, the Indiana Pacers select from Florida State University. Clark Kellogg, George McLeod, Eric Dampier, are you sticking with Chuck Person? McLeod. Okay. I number Jake's head is sometimes up in yeah, somewhere. Come on now. Accurate there, Mark. Uh, number four here. Uh, among the 34 drivers, Brian, on the 2023 entry list here for the 500, how many were named Rookie of the Year in the 500? Four, six, seven, or nine? Four. All right, number five here. Jake, you want me to go? I'll go. Uh, Here we go. Question number five. Sorry. 148 years ago today, Brian, the first Kentucky Derby took place at Churchill Downs. Who won it on May 17th of 1875? (laughs) Was it Baden-Baden, Vagrant, Daystar, or Aristides? Oh, Daystar. (laughs) 
<laughs> Brian, you said that with a lot of confidence. Did you know it? No. <laughs> Gosh, boy, that's quite the thing there. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know why Scotty ended with that one, to be honest with you. Okay, I uh, got the what? First three, right? A-D-D-A-I. A die, a die, a die. <laughs> Zero, David Robinson, of course, Tim Duncan, the other, and George McLeod for questions one through three. I, mean, I thought four was an impossible question, too. I mean, I, didn't we get into a rookie of the year debate last year between like Jimmy Johnson and was it Malukas? Well, a really big one, yes. And then as well, Ed Jones and Fernando Alonso was a big debate. I think it was Alonso was a big debate for rookie of the year. Ed Jones finished second, second or third, didn't get rookie of the year, and people were upset. Uh, seven former rookie of the years on the entry you list. Blew it! Elio, Marco, Ryan hunter Ray, Rossi, Ferrucci, Pato, and Scott McLaughlin. And it was actually Aristides who won the very first Kentucky Derby. Quite a few of those uh, Rookie of the Years joining us uh, during these few weeks. And speaking of horse racing as well, Mark, uh, we're going to have Caleb Keller again on to talk Preakness with us? Yep, yep. Uh, Friday. Have we seen an intro? Someone's saying the Mage might be the only Derby horse in it. Is that right? Boy. That wouldn't be ideal, I wouldn't think. I feel like that trend has all of a sudden changed lately. You know, they should let Kentucky Derby winners come back and race the next year. Well, it's all that... three-year-olds and one four-year-old <laughs> wouldn't that who's be... there to defend it. Is this like the Masters? Yeah. I mean... It's the senior tour. Go for... I wonder how many how many years in a row Secretariat would have won it. Speaking of golf, uh, Will Haskett joins us next live from the PGA. He is there. He's at the PGA Championship. We'll get his thoughts on the second major of the year. All right, coming up this week. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Weekend, the sporting calendar has got a couple of events that certainly draw some attention and maybe not our mainstream sports. Obviously, we'll have calls here locally. We'll have the conference finals in the NBA. But you've got the Preakness, uh, which we'll chat about on Friday. And you've got the second major of the year in professional golf, and that will be the PJ Championship from Rochester, New York, Oak Hill Golf Course. Our next guest joins us, Will Haskett. Sean McKeel, Indiana grad, by the way, won a previous PJ Championship at Oak Hill. And he is live from Rochester. Will, you got a little feature group action this week? Yeah, it's freezing here, boys. Uh, but yeah, um, there's a lot of feature groups. I'll be on one of them starting tomorrow. I've got afternoon duty this week. So I start with Tommy Fleetwood, Cameron Young, and Hideki Matsuyama tomorrow. And then I transition to Scotty Scheffler, Brooks Kepka, Gary Woodland on Friday. Now, Tommy Fleetwood was on Rumors, I think, right? And then left and then came back to the band. I'm not 100% positive on that. Will, it's Mick's younger brother, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. You've got My, some pretty good guys in those two groups, by the way. I mean, those are some straight and long hitters that I think could be up there come Sunday. Uh, but I mean, two of the, uh, I would say my two picks this week, guys I just sort of liked when I was thinking about this week and then 
arriving at the golf course were Kepka and Cameron Young. So yeah, when I got the assignment, I was kind of excited because I think I've been telling a lot of people that those are two that I have my eye on this week, just in terms of what this golf course demands. Um, it's a beautiful piece of property. If anybody remembers it from the PGA Championship 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it looks completely different. Andrew Green came in and did a full restoration to return it to how Donald Ross designed it in the 1920s. Um, there are corners on the edges of these greens. They're square again. It's it's a really, really cool piece of property, but it's super hard and I think for any of us, you know, who've grown up in the Midwest, when they moved the PGA Championship back to May, a lot of people were concerned about weather, and rightfully so. It's 30-something degrees outside right now, and I don't really think we're going to start on time tomorrow because of frost. But like, we know what grass can do in May in the Midwest, and it is as lush, green, thick, and nasty as you could want to get it right now. So, Will, my novice golf question that I ask you when we have you in these circumstances a lot is, this particular course and the way that it's played – favors which golfer and give me a mainline golfer that this particular course may give them some fits because it's not necessarily conducive to their style yeah so i think it's a first shot golf course this week Uh, some of the players i talked to yesterday sort of think of it that way and by that i mean those who can really drive the ball long and straight have an advantage some people have sort of backed that off a little bit depending on who you talk to and certain players because it's also super firm out here you hit a ball in the fairway and it runs 20 30 40 yards but again i followed some guys yesterday that really moved the ball and just some of the bunkers that they can carry and take on and the advantage it gives them and some of the holes i still think it plays into you know one of those elite you know long hitters of the golf ball this week and so the, the the counter to that in terms of guys that I wouldn't expect to have as big of an advantage, like sort of household name standpoint, and he's actually gotten longer, but he's also battling a wrist injury. Is I don't think it's a great golf course for a Jordan Spieth. You know, I don't like golf courses where you have to bludgeon it off the tee for a guy like Jordan. You know, Cameron Smith has finally shown something on live, if that means anything to you. So the guy that was kind of the darling of major championships last year, I don't really think that golf courses that are so big on driving the ball fits a guy like him. So those would be two guys that I would say that it doesn't really necessarily fit them this week. Um, but again, like you know, guys can have a great driving week. Guys can have an unbelievable putting week, and they can buck those trends. But you know, that's just kind of how I view it. And Will Haskett's with us here. You're going to hear him on featured coverage here, the PJ Championship, coming up the next couple of days out at Oak Hill. Um, you mentioned some of the storylines there. I mean, the Jordan Spieth wrist injury. You know, Rory uh, took that leave of, leave of absence a couple weeks ago. You know, John Rahm, can he back up what he did at the Masters and potentially win the first two legs of the Grand Slam? Obviously, you have Liv. Uh, what other storylines kind of intrigue you? Wow. I mean, you hit on a lot of them. I mean, I think right now we're in a place where it's this, you know, Rahm and Scheffler back and forth. I mean, Scotty Scheffler's finished in the top 12 and 12 consecutive tournaments. I mean, he's on an absolute sort of consistency tear, and I think this is also a good fit for him. I mean, those are, you know, really kind of the one-two, and then is anybody else? I think it would be, is anybody else, and I guess that includes now Rory because it's been such an awkward sort of month for Rory, is, is anybody going to sort of emerge as a threat to the – clear-cut top two players in the game. And I actually think that there's a little bit of a gap between John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler, as weird as that sounds, and as good as Scotty Scheffler's numbers have been. I mean, I think John Rahm's the best player in the world, and it's really not even debatable. But is there going to be somebody, you know, we always get in golf way too big in the big three. You know, every year there's a new big three. We never really establish 
that there are guys that can maintain consistency for such a long period of time. But who's going to be the guy going into the U.S. Open? And maybe it's a guy who wins this tournament who's like, okay, is he going to be on the same pedestal in terms of consistency as we've seen from John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler? So I'm interested to see who wins this week and sort of puts their hat in that ring or in that race of being the guy that challenges those guys maybe at the end of the year to being the top player in the sport. Well, we go back to the Masters, and obviously Brooks Koepka fell apart on Sunday, but you know him, Phil Mickelson, certainly that was pretty amazing performance by him, given how he's played on Liv. Patrick Reed had a nice showing there. I mean, those three guys all finished in the top five from Liv. Granted, they have a lot of familiarity with Augusta National. Oak Hill, you know, they're certainly not playing, I think, very comparable golf courses on the Liv Tour that uh, they'll, they will see this week. Uh, at Oak Hill. So do you view this as maybe a, more of a, I don't know, a better evaluation for these guys on live or how do you kind of view that group of golfers this week? You know, it's so funny, Kevin, because I think now for those of us that are in it every single week, I personally am tired of who who's playing well. Does it matter? What does live sort of do? And I look at the guys that have always sort of treated it that way. So whether it's Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kepka, I think two guys that are just like, you know, they were very open and honest as to why they made their decision. They didn't burn any bridges out the door. You know, they are, they're revving their bodies and their minds up to be competitive in these types of events. Like Kepka was at the Masters, where by the way, he said, I think this, I think it's out today, but his podcast with pardon my take and barstool. I mean, he called it, he said he choked. Like, I mean, he, he owned what he, what that Sunday was like for him at the Masters. Um, how we measure these guys is just, I don't really know if it matters anymore. I think we live now in this place, pardon the pun, of two separate tours, and we're going to be here for a while, and we're going to have guys that play well in majors and guys that don't play well in majors. And I I don't know. I I don't think we're going to have as many people measuring it as we did in April at the Masters because as we get more and more saturated in this reality, it just doesn't really matter. So I expect there to be some guys, because they're world-class players, I expect many of them to play really well. You know, Taylor Gooch has been playing really, really good golf on live, and he's you know, made a point of pointing out the fact that he doesn't think he's getting respect from the golf community. So this is a good week for him maybe to step up. So maybe that's one of them where it's like, okay, well, this guy, let's put your money where your mouth is if you really think that you're playing the best golf and you deserve to be getting into tournaments like the U.S. Open because if you're play out there, then show it, showcase it this week. You know, maybe that's one of those situations. But I expect to have a leaderboard when it's all said and done of guys from both tours. And hopefully it's about the tournament, not necessarily about, oh, well, look at how well they're playing. Like, you know, they're great golfers. There should be guys that play well that are coming off a live. Will, do you watch Ted Lasso? I do, and I, um, I'm about two or three episodes behind. Okay. So if you want to spoil it for me, you can, because if the audience knows, I spoiled a Succession episode when I was hosting the Midday Show a couple of weeks ago that the fellas still have not let me live down. So if you want to ruin the last couple of weeks for me, you can, because that would only be fair and karma coming back full circle. Won't do it. I won't do it, because um, you know I have a soul. But uh, let me say this in the last minute here. Uh, in Ted Lasso, one of the famous lines in it is, as an athlete, you got to be a goldfish. And that means don't have a, a memory. If something goes wrong, you just keep moving on. You don't look back. That was what Tiger Woods' strength was as a golfer. He was so mentally focused and sharp. In your opinion and observation, give me the guy that has inherited the mantle from Tiger Woods as the most mentally sharp. And we have one minute left. Um, the guy that's a goldfish and just is totally locked in. I think John Rahm right now is in such a perfect headspace 
in all of the balance that he has in his life and is thoughtful and thought-provoking in the things that he says, I think he's probably the one that fits that criteria the most. Although Scotty Scheffler gave an amazing answer yesterday about applying Sunday pressure on a Thursday and being excited and, and operating in a positive mindset. So if you wanted to go read that transcript, it's really good. But I would say John Rom is the answer to that question. Uh, Will, just to remind everybody, uh, ESPN Plus, is that right, feature groups? ESPN Plus, I think we've got four featured groups and featured holes. I'll be on featured group one from tomorrow through Sunday. Awesome. Uh, great stuff, Will. Thank you. Enjoy Oak Hill. It looks absolutely awesome and hope it comes off that way on uh, TV. See you guys. Enjoy quals. Will Haskett right there. Uh, Jake, your pick? Um, John Rom. There you go. John Rom. He's a goldfish. That's my pick. I like it. Long hitter. Uh, I like the Cameron Young idea. New, New York guy. Um... But my financial investments are a little bit elsewhere, actually. <laughs> All right, IMS today, Jake. Uh, boy, postcard-type day, man. It's going to be a good one. Things getting underway at noon to 6, all skate, all cars on track. Uh, so R.C. Enerson will get things going about 10-15-ish from a uh, rookie orientation standpoint. And then noon to 6 coming up. That will be each of the next couple days. Again, wall-to-wall coverage on our station. Uh, 500 tic- ticket giveaways coming up. Uh, all week long here, each of our shows. Tomorrow, Pato Award, Alexander Rossi on Friday. Everybody have a great Wednesday.